You're listening to AuroraCast, a podcast that offers insight and experience from voices within the film and music industry. I'm your host, Mike, to get comfortable with a beverage of your choice and let the show begin. So hello, Mike. Hello, how are you doing? Not too bad, my friend, not too bad. Um, thank you for spending the time to be with us today. Um, it is yes. appreciated and thank you for kind of... Um, you know, suggesting a time that wasn't going to mean I was going to be up till sort of 4am, given the time difference. I know, right? I mean, I kind of thought, well, maybe Mike's, you know, he's a composer and he lives in a dark room. Maybe 4am is kind of his best operating zone. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, I thought it'd be best to get it out of the way before it's Saturday and uh, I got some ciders in the fridge. So, uh, And we're, you know. it's the launch tonight, isn't it? It's the space launch. Second attempt second of the attempt. SpaceX launch attempt. So uh, people might be watching this being confused, thinking, oh, maybe this is recorded today on the third launch. But nope, today. <laughs> it, we're doing it on that, on that day. So I'm, I'm, I <laughs> On think the second launch. For me and you, I mean, I think it's going to be, you know, we get this done, we relax, and then we've got, we've got some sort of tea. I might get some ciders myself and kind of sit back and, uh, and relax and take that in. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, it should be interesting. It's so futuristic. I can't believe it. Those spacesuits they wear... It's like, I don't, know if it's, I don't know if they chose to brand it like that to make it look so... I mean, it, it, it wouldn't surprise me because I suppose space is, a, space is like a... Uh, I love space. Like, you know, my whole company me name too. is space, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose it's, that kind of fits into the whole film thing as well and the cinematics of it. But I think it's a... Um, it wouldn't surprise me because if they... And if they did choose to brand it based on that, then good on them because it's cool as hell. It's private, private enterprise, right? Like it's Absolutely. Commercial. You know, so. and they start selling mugs and... Yeah. <laughs> it's like a I think they already are. I think they already are. <laughs> they already are. I love the same lady who d- who displays your Aurora Clips t-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. Oh yeah, I like I like that. You saw I found that lady, did you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very kind of her to keep wearing different shirts. Absolutely, it's, it's so yeah. appreciative of me, mate. You know, like yeah. you know, um, and uh, the funny thing with that was there was actually someone who kind of oh, you know, how, where did you find the model? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> the, the internet these days, you know, you can you can sort of put things on models. It's yeah. fine, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the fact it looked that way was a good thing, right? <laughs> but um, yeah. yeah, that's cool, man. I'm really excited for that, and I think that's a cool, you know, that's, you know, Saturday end of the month thing, um, and it's you know, it's. It's just something that's, yeah, I'm definitely going to be there watching that with you, mate, just um, in different time zones, I suppose. Yeah, uh, so uh, I, don't know if, I don't know if we made it clear yet, but uh, I'm in Toronto in Canada, so I am five hours behind so the yeah, UK. Five hours, yes, it's what, 10 a.m., 10-ish for you, it's about three for me. So it's yeah. Yeah, a nice balance. Thanks for joining me so early, mate. I mean, I, I was still asleep at 10, I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> <laughs> cool, so... Um, yeah, so Mike, be, Mike meets Mike. We've 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 got, we've got that bit. Um, you know, um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Mike, and kind of what's been your story so far? Yeah, so uh, I'll start basic, and then we'll, we'll we'll fill it in later. But I work as a boom operator in the film and TV industry, uh, which is part of the the wider sound department. Um, the boom operator is responsible for all microphone placement on on a set, uh, and uh, they they run the floor. By the floor, I mean the set uh, for the sound mixer, who's the head of department. Perfect. So, I mean, is that, I suppose we were thinking about this because I was thinking about this earlier, just kind of just when I was writing out the questions and thinking, well, there's so much I could ask Mike. I mean, 
me and you, if I remember about years ago, I remember kind of like playing around with bass and, and I remember you, you, you touched on a couple of things like playing around with speakers and I believe I was watching South Park the other day. I seem to remember us sort of annoying all our uh, our parents and grandparents trying to play that South Park CD at like Christmas time. <laughs> what is this rubbish on sacrilege or whatever? You know, They probably bought it for us. I yeah. mean, we weren't buying CDs at that <laughs> it's age. Very true. I don't know where it came from, mate. I really <laughs> no. know. It's not something my mother would have, well, not knowingly would have bought me. I'll tell you that. No. We found it somehow. No. But... Um, um, I mean, was it always clear to you, I suppose, that sound was going to be um, your thing? Or did you find that, do you think, because, while I, studying? I kind of, I had a bit of a meander because I I definitely, you know, we as kids were really into speakers and we were always playing around with little things. And, uh, you know, there was all these little things going on. And then I, like you, fell into playing guitars. Like, I, you know, I wasn't very good, but I played bass guitar and the occasional acoustic guitar and things like that. And uh, so I had this direction of, you know, maybe moving into sound recording in a studio or something like that. But we're talking early 2000s here. So also at the time when I was, you know, in my early teens, I guess, my mum had bought a video camera. So I started making, you know, filming little things uh, with a friend and just enjoyed that aspect. So when it came to choosing A-levels, I chose uh, music technology media production. And I thought, well, I better throw something serious in there that would fit in with those two categories. So I, I did physics too. Well, physics was a write-off. I mean, A-levels were not the choice for me because I'm hands-on. Luckily, I had great teachers and the courses were pretty hands-on, but yeah, physics fell by the wayside. It's, look, man, at least you tried to throw one in there, and I suppose it did make yeah. sense. I mean, at, least, at least you understood the pressure of the cone of a speaker, you know. Yeah. You understood, yeah, fa- yeah. You understood phase for, for, yes. for your physics, you know. Well, I do now. I don't know if I did then, but I do now. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But I think, it, I think it's kind of like, because I've done, man, I've done like, and when I say I've got a little bit of boom experience, it's like two projects, both of which never made the light of day. You know, they yeah. were both sort of small, um, uh, they were like uh, uni projects, really. And I sort of bought a cheap um, stag boom pole, you know, and sort of threw a mic on on, on, on the top of it. And then there's me sort of, you know, running around the forest sort of attached to this girl who I just met, you know, by a cable about two yes. metres long. Ridiculous, man. I'm almost falling over. But it's good fun. I've got good memories of it. And I'd imagine your um, your arms are sort of a, a, a little stronger these days, Mike. Yeah, I think my shoulders are definitely bigger. It's not really a strength... I mean, strength helps, don't get me wrong, but technique is probably more uh, the key. And I definitely struggled a lot in the early days. Uh, And I still find myself struggling now, especially as, and I'm sure it's the same with what you do, as technology progresses, uh, we push the boundaries of what we do. So now we shoot digital more than we do film. And so if we wanted to, we could run for half an hour, easy, no questions, probably longer. this is the craziness with it because it's, it's kind of I've always I've always been focused pretty much in the sound realm like and despite having an interest because I'm kind of like that if I'm working on something I get a bit attached to everything um, yes. so but now we're doing this podcast which came through this lockdown really you know I've done my YouTube videos which has been literally a Logitech webcam for years like just 1080p but now I'm starting to you know the, the conversation we had earlier about keep it cheap you know don't don't kind of spend unless you need to spend I'm using yes. my iPhone as well you know as a second yeah. camera um and um i mean this mic this road i actually bought for boom work and now it's yeah i remember you saying yeah my broadcast mic you know for this and but what 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 i was getting frustrated because all these cameras with these dslrs with the kind of like you know the the 30 minute limit i'm thinking why why do i need a why is there a 30 minute limit 
So it's me trying to understand that really what I'm doing is probably broadcast, you know, and, yes. and, and a lot of that, a lot of that footage I would imagine would go into a camera mixer and it'd be actually recorded in a server, not on the, the cameras probably aren't even rolling. Yeah, it's just a, a sensor that, Exa- goes, you know. Exactly, yeah. but exactly. But then it, it makes sense to me because I think it will, did Mike run around for half an hour or was it like two minutes cut, <laughs> 10 minutes cut, one minute cut, but three I, minutes I've cut? Definitely, I, I've definitely run around for half an hour before, but uh, <laughs> okay. more, it's, they're probably, it takes a normal, you know, max probably five minutes now. Um, historically film, you were limited to four minutes or 10 minutes, depending on the size of the magazine on the camera. Um just, but yeah, it's, so it's a crazy job. I don't know why I cho- I don't know how I ended up in it. And I guess as we'll as I'll answer more of your questions, maybe we'll, we'll figure we'll, out we'll, how we'll find out. But it is it is incredible. I mean, I, I only recently learned that you know IMAX cameras. I think they're is, I think the battery. I think it is last thirteen minutes. How are you fit? You know, but then I suppose those shots just aren't that long. It must be it must, unless your director's just no. I want to shoot for. I want to keep rolling. Well, I've never shot an IMAX. I'd have to look into that. But quite often the the onboard battery on a camera isn't really enough to do much than just support it for, like you say, like 10 minutes, but they often then have a bigger battery just rigged. remotely attached that might be carried around by a grip or someone like that. So, uh, got ya. it's, uh, yeah. Got ya. But so when I, I chose music technology as one of my classes, and this is probably now we're talking like 2003 and, and you know, we're about the same age. We kind of know what was happening then. And I remember probably the first class I went to, we all sat down there and they said, you know, everyone bring your instrument along. So I'm there with my bass and I look across the classroom and there was maybe like seven other people holding guitars. And I thought, how, how, can, how can anyone make a career out of this? Yeah. You know, I was like, we're all here trying to do the same thing. And not only that, I got to do, you know, it was great in some respects because I think I had, I just looked it up online to make sure I knew what it was. The, in the class we had, uh, as well as... Um, uh, I forget the name of Cubase. We had Cubase on the computer, but we also had these Yamaha MD8s. It was a mini disc multi-track recorder. They used to be able to take home and we could record songs at home, which was great. But it also made me aware that recording studios were clearly not going to survive. No. I was like, apart from obviously, you know, a few select ones. I mean, in Plymouth, I think there was one big recording studio I knew of and several of my friends started going there because um, they were running courses, you know. They were doing education, you know, In GMVQs. The, which is probably, probably going to be the best way to learn. I think it is too, but I also knew that, well, hold on a sec. If the biggest recorder studio in town is having to make money by teaching courses, then What's happening there's here? no work for yeah. the people yeah. when they finish the course. Now, don't get me wrong. I think some of those people will have, you know, if you're very good at your job and if it's a very good studio, there's always going to be work for you. But it became obvious to me that whilst I loved sound, there was going to be, it was going to be hard for me to make a career out of it. So I focused more on media sure. <laughs> and yeah, film. Absolutely. So off I went. I went off to uh, to college to study media further, and I remember very early on uh, we did the sound course. You know, just an afternoon of sound, and uh, and I was pretty much the only person on the course that was like, well, yeah, this is obvious. You know, plug this in here, yada yada, and you know. And then I thought to myself, hold on a minute, I think I found my niche. Absolutely, you know? I, I think. 
I was talking to my mate the other day about it, and I think a lot of it is is like logistics. It's it's tracing that signal path, and if you're kind of a bit weird, like I think I am, you know, and and you're actually interested, like you're talking about the studio setup. You know, obviously you've got the live room, so something's going in through an XLR, it's going into that desk, and it's coming out through a patch bay. And if you're kind of interested, I think in the logistics of what those things are. And, yes. you're, and you're kind of like, you know, if you're talking about like a like compression, like, oh, okay, that makes sense to me. You know, it's limiting the dynamic range of the, but some people on my course were just like, what? They're just, and I think it's, I think part of it is probably interest as well. They're just, they want to make, they want to play their guitar and that's it. And they're not. I yeah, think, that's what I noticed in, in my class, you know, when everyone was there playing guitar and I'm thinking they just want to play guitar, yeah, you know? Yeah. And I'm more interested in the actually how that sound gets onto that record or gets into that system. And that's, yes. yeah, I think I think you're I think you're absolutely right, mate. It's um, yeah, and you think you made a you made a good step. So you so you so you started this in Plymouth in terms of like the the college. Yeah, this is no, this is where I was like this is this Plymouth is where I mostly grew up. Uh, but obviously, I'm I'm from Surrey, exactly where you are yeah. and the rest of our family. Yeah. Um, but I went back to Guildford to do college. And while I was there and while I kind of, you know, I had a great time and I was still making great short films and little documentaries at the college there. Uh, but I still thought, well, maybe this sound thing is a good way to go. And for some unknown reason, through, through, uh, through my letterbox came uh, a, uh, a pamphlet from the National Film and Television School. And in there was a course, sound recording for film and television. So I thought, well, maybe this is worth a punt. You know, maybe this is uh, a way to put me in the direction that I might want to go. So I applied and uh, that's a 15 month course all about sound recording. And you do it alongside people studying directing and producing and cinematography. And you make a lot of films and you just get on and do it. And then not only that, having gone there, that gave me, you know, the resume. I think at the time we were a class of seven uh, and there's pretty much only seven people a year coming out of there. Uh, maybe a bit more now and uh, that you know launched me off into uh, a film and tv career which is I mean it's there's so much to be said about university in that in that respect where I think it's I think it's necessary and it's not necessary for me and my course it kind of didn't whereas you said that you were kind of there with directors and, and, and producers and people wanting to do all different types of, of disciplines within the industry it gave you guys from from my view the opportunity to actually experiment and meet all these different disciplines and yes. kind of learn how to balance those ego faders if you like oh it's the producer yeah. okay you know whereas with me it was very much like this i mean the, my, my third year there was four of us on the course yeah. down in brighton um in this kind of like you know old old classroom looking at frank zappa notes and stuff and it's all a bit crazy but it didn't really give me um, there was no real opportunity to like work with an orchestra or or no kind of links. All that stuff I had to do afterwards as essentially no one. So I didn't I didn't kind of um, I didn't get that that kind of post uni. This is now what I've got to do. Yes. And I think that's why in many ways I tracked back into like we were talking about recording the bands and and things like that. Um, a lot of it from home. Now I'm starting to make a bit of cash. I am going back to the studio, especially for drums or you know if we've got a player like a really good yeah. solo violinist. Oh, yeah. But you can do that. I mean, I could record a solo violin here in this room. Yes. So it's yeah. you're absolutely right in that. And I think that school, you know, the national the, the film school is like lots of people have asked me, well, where do you think I should go? And I've said honestly, don't go to a you know, Brighton University or go to that 
go to that because that's where you're going to get the actual links and the real life yeah. experience, which you which you're testament to, mate. Really. Yeah, and you like I mean I remember the composers there that they they'd have a day with an orchestra where they could conduct an orchestra. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Which is you need that. You know you're paying what nine grand a year now the, the kids now it's like you know yeah I got good at mocking stuff up and that's great and that's how the industry is now. You know, yeah, I mean, I consider myself fortunate to have been probably one of the last people to go through the whole educational system without paying obscene amounts of money. Same. I was on that 3000 whatever it was a year. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I found, especially with, uh, with my media course and to some extent the film school, but you, you could easily just sit in these places and do nothing. You know, you could, you could pretty much just tick over and, uh, and just tread water. Sure. Whereas... And I think uh, at the media college there, um, it gave me everything I needed. Mm-hmm. You know, there was always cameras on access. There were edit suites. And, you know, I had to use that to make films and get on and do with what I wanted to do. It could have been very easy just to sit back and do nothing. Um, very valid point. A lot of people, you hear that if they, they've got, um, 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 you know, as a girl I was kicking around with for a while, she was a photographer and she's saying that she didn't understand how, you know, no one's going to the to the you know renting the cameras or using the studio. It's free. Yeah. Well, it's not. Yeah. You're paying for it in terms of your course fees. But I think you're right. I think um, I think I think if you're going to a school like that and you've got those that access to that sort of stuff, you should you should go and use it. I was making films all the time, not just you know, and it, and it wasn't just something for my course. It was for you. You know, it was it was for me or for friends or you know. Absolutely. No, I you think know. you worked hard, mate, and there's testament there's testament to it. But now I think if, if it was like, oh, it's nine grand a year, I'd think, well, I could pretty much buy a whole package to make a film for nine grand. Yeah. And it's uh, it, 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 tough. It is very tough weighing it, weighing it out. I think, And I think it depends a lot on personality traits. Um, yeah. I think if you're willing to kind of go and almost like break through those, break down those doors and, and keep, constantly keep, which is which is a grind, mate. I mean, it, I've tried doing it. Yeah, it's and connections. You need connect, connections. You need the connections. Yeah. You need the teams. Um and that leads me on. I know, I know a fair few people are going to be, um, you know, anticipating of, of this question um, because uh, the guys at Droplet who put who partnered with me to put this podcast out, uh, yes. the audio version, are very much, uh, very much into Marvel, very much into Star Wars. And uh, when I kind of said um, you were coming on, they were very much excited. So I mean, we've we've talked a little. You know, we may jump back and we may sort of we may even yeah, do yeah. another one. But you know, with we, I mean, you've that kind of base, that kind of um, background, if you like really with your hard work and your networking after now you've got credits like avengers force awakens solo you know rogue one mission impossible five the mummy you know, yeah. just to name a few yeah. without kind of completely name dropping it all um i know people are going to be really kind of like interested in those titles and i'm sure me and you can talk forever about those experiences but i'd say you know without obviously breaking any confidentiality or whatever else that you've, you've got from those films if you've got any stories you can shell share from any of those kind of titles in terms of your work on them well, I think, like, just to go back slightly there, it's interesting the way you segued into it because it was definitely connections that kind of slowly got me into that. Like, I, you know, I came out of film school, I did a couple of TV dramas, and then I, I got a, uh, a film called Salmon Fish in the Yemen with uh, at Sam Mixer called Peter Lindsay, um, and who I then worked with a lot uh, over the course of my career in the UK. Uh, and then because I worked with him and because I got to work on such you know, high profile films uh, like Age of Ultron. It also kind of got my name circling around in, in the wider circle. And so all of a sudden, you know, 
there's other options becoming available to me uh, that I could get on, you know, the Star Wars films and Mission Impossible uh, and things like that. I don't think there's much non-disclosure agreement left, like, because the films are out. <laughs> sure. Uh, there always is one when I'm filming it. And, you know, I think it's important to keep the secret of the film that you're working on uh, for the viewer. No, nobody wants to, you know, spoil. Right. You know, while I might be looking for an answer, I don't want to find it. <laughs> you know, I don't want to find, you know. And, uh, like, The Force Awakens was quite interesting. It was very hard to get hold of the script, you know. Most often or not, every morning I'd get handed what they call sides, which is a small A5 document. It has the call sheet on the front, which basically tells you everything that's going on, who everyone is, what we're going to shoot, where we're going to shoot, everything you need to know. And beneath that is the script pages for the day. Got you. So it's very easy for me to flick through. Now, we're in the sound department, so we would get more access to it than others. But even then, sometimes there would be lines missing, you know, the big juicy numbers wouldn't be in the script. Uh, I remember um, the uh, the script for Solo. Uh, uh, I, 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 they gave it to me on a reader. It was a big, uh, kind of like a big-ass Kindle Got you. that was password protected and it was assigned to me and everything on there belonged to me and it's watermarked with my name, even on the, even on the reader. So I got to read it. And then I got to the end of the script and the last three pages were just completely redacted. <laughs> So, I couldn't see anything. Okay. We're keeping this secret. Yeah, yeah. So, so I went up to uh, a friend of mine who, uh, on, on the show, who, who had, f- for, because of their job, had more access to the script. So they showed me the pages that were redacted. And even on the redacted pages, it says, I think, uh, it says something along the lines of, uh, and then up on, on the chat, you know, on the, on the screen in front of him, a Star Wars character that's so juicy we're not going to put it on paper and you think so I'm not even finding anything out there I think uh, spoiler alert for people who haven't seen it yet I think it's Darth Maul that turned up but I just uh, I loved that that wasn't there I tried to convince everyone on set that it was going to be Jar Jar Binks on the screen Brilliant. I don't think anyone 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 believed me Brilliant. I love it if, 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 but that if, happened a lot there were a lot of uh, there were a lot of um, little secrets and little things that happened all the time. Like I remember there was a day Daniel Craig played a stormtrooper. Okay. It was really fun. Um, they, uh, and we're the same age. So this, I loved this. This amazed me. There was a, there was a, um, a guy who, who, who I now know called David, who uh, was one of the puppeteers for BB-8, the robot. And uh, I don't know how I found this out. But he was Otis the Aardvark from CBBC. No way. Okay. Yeah. And then, and actually, and then as I kind of, you know, uncovered this, and it made, actually, once I figured it all out, it made so much sense. I started finding out and I go, and he goes, well, yeah, I was Otis the Aardvark, but those two were the leprechauns on Live and Kicking. Because obviously, they're all puppeteers, and what are puppeteers going to do? Going to be, pup- yeah. <laughs> they're going to keep doing, doing it. Puppetry. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, so there, were, there was, my whole childhood was in front of me on this film set. Brilliant. I couldn't believe it. And that was one of the best things about certainly The Force Awakens um, was that money was spent in camera, you know. It was shot on film and I'd, you know, I'd done other feature films on on real film. Uh, and uh, But there was something about The Force Awakens that I remember there was a shot um, with Adam Driver walking through the snowy forest with his lightsaber, and we had this big technocrane shot coming down behind him, and I was kind of 
you know, coming alongside the camera and bringing the boom in as I could. And uh, um, the DP was there with his light meter, which you don't see that much anymore next to the camera and a little bounce board. And I could, as the camera came past me, I could hear the film going through the gate. And I thought, this is exactly how I imagined movie making to be when we were kids, like when we were thinking about it, you know? Absolutely. Like these Incredible. were the Spielberg yeah. kind of style movies that you like. And I'd been on loads of films and it kind of had kind of started to wash over me. I never was kind of quite in awe until that moment. I was like, my word. <laughs> I'm actually doing <laughs> this. Is this, a film. Is, this is a, yeah. Do you think that was a JJ sort of approach to that, just to that film? Or do you, would you say that's an I approach think so. he takes? I think that's an approach he takes. He seems to be very much of the school of Spielberg. Uh, he's very inclusive uh, for the group. And, you know, that was a long shot. And I remember we clapped the grips at the end of it, you know, because it was a great crane shot. Uh, and they very much want, you know, they help you, you know, they make you feel part of the family so that you keep the secret and everyone works together. Um, great atmosphere. Probably uh, the best, one of the best sets I've worked on in terms of, you know, seeing money being spent in the right places. I was only there for maybe a couple of months. I was covering a friend who uh, who had taken time off to have a child, which is great, very Absolutely. important. Uh, I took time off of um, Avengers Age of Ultron to go on holiday with my mum. And uh, I, I remember everyone going, where are you going? I was like, I'm, I'm going on holiday. And they're like, you can't go on holiday. Who are you going on holiday with? And I went, my mum. And everyone kind of goes, oh, I should maybe call my mum. Yeah, I was spoken. Yeah. That's a very, that's a, it was, I was going to bring it up. That's a very, actually, um, uh, we'll hold it for a second, but that, I want to come back to that, the workload yeah. and the work-life balance. Absolutely. Um, I mean, so that, I think it's interesting as well, you're saying that with the, you know, to actually have someone with a, with a light meter, you know, do you think that, to me, it seems like, yeah, digital's great. And obviously, we're putting, I suppose, more pressure on the... I know we're talking about cameras now. We're putting a lot of pressure on that cameraman to do that, to do all that work, whereas before we'd have, you know, someone looking at that for him. Director of photography going, well, this, these are going a bit weird. So we need to re go, go back. Do you think that's come on to come on to you as part of your job? Like, obviously, you're, you're, you're arming the boom, but are you also having to kind of, like, pay attention to levelling? Or is there someone else who's kind of behind you almost dealing with that side yeah, of it? Yeah, so I think this, this, uh, this gets uh, into your question about how the sound department's set up on a film set. So we tend to be a crew of three, maybe four. Uh, historically, it was just a crew of two. You had the sound mixer and the boom operator. And the sound mixer was uh, the head of department and they're in charge of you know, recording, setting the levels. They provide a mix of all the tracks you know, back in the day, obviously that was only a boom or two, whereas now could be eight tracks, maybe more, you know, a couple of booms. Everyone's now wearing a radio mic. Uh, so, and also their mix while they do it, it's not becoming so important because it's so easy now, as you know, to just dump everything into Pro Tools and you have all the tracks and you can just take what you want. Whereas historically, you know, they just had the mix and if the mix was bad, you know, you would have to go again. Yeah, basically, let's go again. ADR and back to it. Yeah, or, or yeah, or, or uh, ADR, which uh, for those people who don't know, is basically you can replace the dialogue uh, at a later date. Uh, with with technology, it's getting a lot easier to do. Uh, I think it's a great tool, uh, but it's quite often 
relayed back to us, you know, when maybe I'm getting in people's way or something like that. They go, well, what about ADR? Well, for me, the whole point of us being there on a set is to capture the performance of the actor. Absolutely. And the story. And I think by not capturing the dialogue there and then, then we're doing a disservice to that performance. Now, don't get me wrong, there are some actors and there are plenty of occasions where you might want to replace it to change the performance or adjust it or have another go at it. Uh, it's a great tool, but our job is there to capture the performance. And so I think one of your questions kind of covers this. And it's about, like, we're there mostly to get the dialogue and to get the dialogue as clean as possible. So, you know, for anyone watching now, like, just pause the podcast for a minute, have a listen to what's going on around you. Uh, you can probably hear traffic outside, like my building now, you know, I have a, a you know, an, an AC unit running. The world is noisy. And when you just put it down to one microphone that can't have the, the selection like our ears can, it's very noisy. So, you, you know, we have to do our best to limit that. And one of the sound mixer's responsibilities is in pre-production to, you know, make sure these things are dealt with, that we don't turn up on a set that's too noisy or, you know, there's equipment that's too noisy or um, the way the set's constructed causes an issue, um, all these things. And then when we're there, we've got to, you know, we're laying down carpet, we're trying to dampen the acoustics, we're trying to remove footsteps because in the edit, you don't want mismatched footsteps. Right. They can add those back later. Uh, so we're just trying to capture the dialogue as clean as possible. Uh, and getting it on the boom is, is you know, our, our dream because, you know, as you can imagine, like the microphone there in front of your face is going to sound way better than something that's absolutely you know, tiny. Uh, and also it, it, there's a sense of perspective to it. It sounds the way it should sound. Anything that's on the chest, whilst they've got better and better as time has gone on, uh, they, you know, they don't quite match the shot. Well, you, you don't get the space, do you? You don't, you don't get the room, you know, and I, yeah. and I suppose in the same way that, that really, if, if, as you've highlighted, if an actor is performing a part, they are also performing it in a room. Now, obviously, I know a soundstage is a, it's, I've been in a some, we've been in loads, they're dead, you know, which, yeah. is, which is great because then you've, you can really kind of get in there and really gain those mics, you know, because you, yeah. you, you've got that opportunity. Um, I think it's kind of, yeah, one of the questions I was kind of talking about was the radio mic thing and, and, and kind of, you know, I, I always think this because, A, the ADR thing, I can actually see it. You know, that doesn't... Oh, not, yeah, not, like... Not all the time, but sometimes I'm watching a film and I'm like, he didn't say that, or she didn't say no. that. Especially, um, like I just, you know, with, with the lockdown, uh, we've been re-watching things. I just, with the wife, re, uh, we she'd never seen Band of Brothers, so we watched it. And there's so many lines that have been inserted in there and they're not a replacement. They've just been put in to add to the story, um, which is fantastic that you can do that. But to me, it sticks out. That's right. Know, when uh, when James Bond is stood up against a wall with gunfire and bolts and everything, and you can hear his line clear as day. Yeah. It's ADR. But, uh, you know, or, you know, we're getting better at it. We're certainly getting better at trying to deaden down those situations. But uh, to me, it sticks out. Yeah, absolutely. You know? it, ta it takes me out of the film. And and, yeah. uh, and I think, I suppose that's where a combination maybe of a radio and a boom, I suppose, could then 
yeah. perhaps, perhaps help to add the so clarity. So ready mics are kind of become the norm too, because now we don't just shoot with one camera, we shoot with two, maybe three. Um, there were times on the Avengers where we were shooting four because we actually only had maybe two weeks of all the cast. And so they want to put four cameras on it and cover it because we haven't got time. You know, this is a, this is a very, in a six month schedule of a film, we've only got two weeks where you have all the Avengers. So you have to, you know, get on with it. it <laughs> yeah, yeah, literally. And so that's why you need, uh, you know, and the radio mics are a great tool for that and they sound better. <laughs> they don't always, they don't always work. Uh, because they're at the mercy of whatever costume they're wearing. Now, there's a lot of collaboration you can do with costume, and you know, they can choose the right fabrics to make your life easier, uh, and you know, the different techniques that you can use to to mount the mic in there. If it's even in the costume, sometimes we put it in the hair, sometimes it's in a hat. You know, there's all kinds of things we can do. Do with it. I remember that. I mean, ages ago, I remember it was like. What are you working on, Mike? And you're like, I can't tell you anything. I'm not, I'm not talking about it. Um, <laughs> I'm working on Avengers. And it's like, okay, well, what have you been up to? Trying to mic up Scarlett Johansson's suit. It's a nightmare. And I mm. think then it was like the conversation very quickly stopped after that. And we just yeah. I mean, we just went back to the bar. But it's like, you know. It's so like, I like, uh, <laughs> I remember. And it was a, it's a funny story because my, uh, the mix I was working for, Peter, had, he lives in Northern Ireland. So he said, hey, can you... Um, you go into Shepparton and uh, speak to the costume, uh, the people that were making the super suit team about where we can put the radio mic transmitter. So I went in there and we, they were great. They were fantastic. And they said, we're thinking of the tool belt and how big's the pack. So I left them with the pack and we started coming up with all these plans of how it would fit in and where the cable would and we'd extend the antenna and make everything work fantastic. Now, I think this was probably six or seven weeks before we uh, started shooting Avengers. Four weeks before we started shooting Avengers, it was announced that Scarlett Johansson was about three months pregnant. <laughs> and uh, basically, she was stood there in a suit, you know, three, four, five months pregnant while we were shooting. And I was like, didn't matter anyway. We could have just <laughs> put it on because they could only really cover in a close-up. And anything else wide, if it was her, was either a body double or VFX right. or somewhere between the two. Or I think they also did some additional photography after she'd had the baby. Um, but yeah, that's... Uh, Certainly on the bigger films, that's a lot of work that needs to happen before you arrive on the set. Like last year I was on uh, The Boys, the Amazon Prime show. And that's, a, again, a lot of super suits. Lucky it was season two. So That's, that's funny, man, that show. It did, it's a great show. It, did, it absolutely. I wasn't ready for it. Like I kind of just put it on and I was like, wow, this is funny. Like It, did it crack, hits the it nail did on the head. Up. It's brilliant. Yeah. You and know. I was trying to explain it to someone who else we worked on it the other day and I... I kind of think it's kind of like some of the best sci-fi film, uh, sci-fi shows like Battlestar, where it's not so much about superheroes. It's the right. story around it. And that's bang on to society to today. Right. And that's what's so great about it. Absolutely. Um, it, it, it really kind of, um, cause when I first put it on, I thought, Oh, is this going to be another sort of, you know, DC Marvel sort of TV show? And it absolutely wasn't that. Yeah. I think you're right. No. It, it definitely highlighted, it definitely brought society into it. I thought, yeah, I, yeah. I, I loved it. And, it, and it, 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 it was well balanced, I think in terms of like the superhero stuff and then the real stuff and then the comedy um, yeah. and the character, the, the characters were brilliant. So yeah, that was a, that was a, that was a cool show, but sorry, I've interrupted you there, man. You were telling me about That's the That's okay. I had, a, I had a lot of fun on that show. Uh, I, I was, unfortunately my, my back had got injured, uh, which is not great for a boom operator. Um, so I, I was on the boys as a sound utility, which is the third member in the crew. Um, but on the boys, 
because it's superheroes. Um, you know, the utility ha- who deals with a lot of the radio micing, certainly in Canada, uh, has a lot more responsibility. So I took that show. Unfortunately, I got sick on the show <laughs> and uh, I had to have time off. I ended up in hospital. There were a few things, but I did love that show. I thought it was great. And I was very fortunate that that was the show I took because of all the situations that I had going on. Uh, but yeah, I, I hope season two comes out this summer, but I'm, I'm slightly wary that they might, Amazon might be slowly dragging out their releases as we're not making TV shows. <laughs> yeah. They're going to drag them out a bit. I, th- I think you're right. I mean, that's, that's one of the questions I had at the end was what we we, we, we cover that towards the end about, you know, yeah. um, obviously COVID and what, what we're going to do with, with regards to the industry. Yeah. Um, I suppose, you know, we spoke, we spoke a bit about the whole, um, you know, um, the sound team structure on set. Obviously that yeah. was, that was very much from like a, um, I suppose from a full production, full budget point of view. Yes. If it, there's, I would imagine there's, there's definitely a difference between TV and film, or is that something that's, that those gaps sort of merge now? You know, I think, I think, yeah, I think there might have been once upon a time. I think um, the it is blurred because now TV and film are kind of blurred. Like I say, I work in TV, but I don't make many shows that go on TV anymore. They're Amazon or Netflix, and which are films. Quite often they're yeah. they're with and they're with the same budget. You yeah. Know? Uh, so we do the same. I mean, I think Star Wars, we were like four, you know, maybe, uh, but, uh, TV is mostly three, three person team. So the Samix, as I said before, who's, you know, the big cheese and is responsible for everything that goes on in pre-production and what happens on the set. They're in charge. They record and mix, uh, the buck stops with them. The boom operator, which is what I primarily do now runs the floor for the sound mixer, is responsible for the microphone placement on the set. And, uh, you know, because the sound mixer can't be on the set with their gear. They have a big cart. They normally sit just off the side of of the set. So the boom op is there working with the camera operators and the first assistant director who runs the floor and and doing that. And then on top of that, you have uh, the utility or assistant who fills the gaps, um, comes in, does the second boom if the two booms are required, uh, which is becoming more the case as we cross shoot with two cameras. Uh, they hand out the headphones, they do all the cabling that's required, although there's less less and less cabling required as we go on. And they help with the boom operator, laying carpet, you know, we're trying to reduce the sound, other sounds on set. Perfect. So yeah, I think it's I think it's definitely a um I mean one thing I was gonna ask you about um is the whole I suppose the whole process of kind of bringing this all in together. Because another thing I found during my my kind of um new approach to using cameras is audio drift yeah which drives me nuts because i don't actually understand what i don't get it it's like i've got a camera here you know i'm recording separately but then things are starting to go out of sync over time and i'm thinking well why what, what i don't i don't get it it's not it's not I'm not recording any audio on the camera. So even, and I've I've made sure I've set the kind of sample rates the same. So this is like a personal question, I suppose. Um, Yeah. So I, my, my, my understanding of it's slightly limited, but like time code, time code isn't actually true synchronization uh, because it, whilst it, it kind of points you in the right ballpark of where sync is. I think what your issue is there is sample, you know, sample rates. So, I have my recorder going for you here. It's recording at 48K. Mm-hmm. So that's 48,000 samples, right? Yep. Second. So 
if you have two recorders that aren't sampling at the same time, you're going to get the problem. Yeah. Then you're going to get issues. Um, I suppose. That's... And obviously, as you have less, as you have less professional equipment, those, those, you know, because they're, they're the things that cost money, right? Like if you look at the difference between like an Arri Alexa and, uh, you know, the, the webcam you've got, you know, there's things in sync and, you know, ins and outs and accessibility and all of that, you know, there's big differences. That's where the money goes. Absolutely. That's the thing. Yeah, I think it definitely, I mean, obviously me and you are both, we confirmed that before the session, right? We're going 2448, cool. So I, both our sessions are synced to that when I do the mix. But it's definitely weird with the camera, you know, where, where so I still set the kind of 48 on the camera, but I'm not actually using any audio on the camera. But I think it yeah, could yeah. just be that, just cheaper cheaper cameras, um, you know, that, that don't that don't perhaps do that. And I know that there's like, a, in the film world, you guys are almost time code synced. So I gather that there's a something that... that um, imprints on the on the actual file that they yeah so it goes in uh what we call metadata which i'm sure you'll find the same as in any any file has um metadata and it doesn't it's not quite stamped across the file it's uh at the, at the file in the metadata it says this file starts at sample since midnight right um and then from there whatever you put that file into it can work out the samples and the time code and everything like that, so it it, it figures it out. But um, so when it, yeah, it, so when it kind of gets to your, when it gets to your avid, it's kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. But like I say, <clears throat> we don't really do it in drama uh, with the. We just do time code sync. We don't deal with um, sample syncing, and it's the same. You you know, like how a TV has you know two frames mm-hmm. going. Uh, obviously, if you had two cameras and they weren't sample locked, you might find the two fields not matching. And if you wanted to cut live from one to the other, it wouldn't line up. But that doesn't really bother us with what we do because we don't work in real time, if you know what I mean. You know, uh, no, it make, uh, makes perfect sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. It's just a just a niggling question. I thought, well, this is going to something I'm going to ask Mike live on the podcast. <laughs> but, uh, but, but in reality, I'm actually pretty useless at it. And uh, one of the best things about my job is it's more of a personable skill, like it's people skills, right? The, t- the tech aspect of my job is only a third of it, probably. Um, and we're only recording, max say 10 tracks, right, on a day. Uh, occasional days might call for more, but sometimes we might only be recording four. Um, if you compare that to live sound or a studio recording or something, it's nothing, right? But some of, some of the hardest days are trying to get one radio mic on one big actor, right? Whereas I can go do a corporate or a smaller show and I can put 10 radio mics on 10 people in the same time it took me to negotiate one radio mic on one actor. So, <laughs> Is it it's, balancing the ego fade as Mike? I, keep, yeah, I love that. And that yeah. I can't remember who first said that, mate, but I love that analogy. Um, you know, it's a game. I, I, but I suppose that is. I mean, I suppose that you are having to kind of... I suppose as well. One thing I like about film is the is the whole the whole team of it that everyone's job yes. is integral to make yeah. that picture. So yeah. you're going to be coming at it from you. You know, you're managing the floor. You're going to be coming at it from. I need to get the best sound possible from you. Yes. So it's like, and then I suppose it's kind of you've got to. Surely they, they people are going to understand that's what you're doing. But I still think it's how you know you can't just grab someone and start sort of taping a, a you know you've got to hello mate how we doing yeah there's you know, there's 
yeah, there's protocols and way to go about it and way to make your life easier. And actually, the the prime example is of uh, a, a good way to describe it is you're from a music background and I work in the film industry. Now, where's my microphone? You can't see it. I've hidden it out of shot. It's just above me here. Uh, whereas yours is right in front of your face, you know? Yeah, because it sounds mate. better. And, but I'm used to compromise. <laughs> like it, I can never have, I don't work in radio. I can't have the mic exactly where it would sound perfect. The best. Yeah. Uh, so I always have to compromise that. But I consider myself as a filmmaker first and as a sound engineer second. So I understand, you know, there's a story to be told and uh, how do we go about it? So. We're never quite at the forefront of everyone's minds when we're on a film set. Sometimes you do films where that's more of the case. Uh, you know, if it's a, if it's a musical number. Um, I just lost you on uh, our right, little video chat There's there. my phone being... Let's just call you back there. Slight technical glitch. Sorry, everyone. We have... Uh, we- <laughs> I, I think got- we're connected about three different ways and, and then also recording separately. Absolutely. Uh, just so we can, oh, hold on. I haven't, uh, no worries, mate. It's fine. Uh, do you know what that is? That's, that's my iPhone telling me that I've been spending too long on Facebook. Oh, you have that? <laughs> I have that turned on, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we've got a bit of a, you know, Mike, but by the way, the actual camera that's going out on the podcast isn't, isn't what you're seeing, dude. It's, no, know, I like, know. I saw that. So you have a camera off to the side recording. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. is just, the, uh, the, the good thing with us guys, though, the film composers, and it, it's definitely a thing is it's almost like the tech. And that whenever you see a composer on a YouTube video, you know, they've all got their cameras slightly to the side because we want everyone to see our screens and we want everyone to yes. see our mics. And it, the film composer isn't really a rock star or like a, it really is right. like in a dark room. You know, I think they, I think we're coming out the, the woodwork slightly with the long, with the sort of live shows and things like that. But every guy I see online is like, he's got his side set up with everything there. This isn't connecting, is it? It's very strange. Why is it no, connecting to uh, you? Hold on a second. Oh, I nearly hung up on Skype. Video again. connecting. We can always do the edits, Mike. It's fine. I can edit this. I can edit this back together. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys, we're back. Apologies about that slight technical glitch. Um, where were we, Mike? We were talking about... Where were we? It's completely, where were we? It's completely... Lo- <laughs> It's completely, <laughs> I completely lost. We were, that's what we were talking about. We were saying about the, um, you know, you see in the film like a, um, you you see yourself as a, as a storyteller, like a filmmaker yes. over yeah. a musician, which I think, yeah. uh, which I think is amazing that you see that because that is really what you are. You are a filmmaker, man. Like yeah. everything yeah. you do is going into the quality of that product. Um, and I do like that analogy of the whole, like, you know, there's me with my, my mic in front of me kind of thing. And it's, I probably could put it above me to be fair. But yeah, I just get the clear, it's just, it's just, I get the clearest sound, mate, you know, and it looks cool. <laughs> I know it doesn't, I, it doesn't matter for you. Like, I, yeah, I, I'm just used to like when I do an interview or something, I have it above me here and uh, that's, you know, what I'm used to. I, it's very rare, if ever, that I've put it above myself. Yeah. Um, but uh, Absolutely. yeah, sounds great. So that's the important thing. I'm it, listening to it. it I keep... If anyone's wondering why I keep looking this way, I have my recorder here and I'm recording the conversations to you so we can get better audio uh, than uh, what Skype can provide. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, me too. I yeah. keep glancing over there. Is it still recording? Paranoid. But um, I mean, what, so I suppose you do have to take that into consideration. I've often thought that like and there's a few times when I was with, with my literally like two seconds experience of working as a boom operator where I was kind of like, um, how am I going to get this without being in the shot? And then you slowly start to learn kind of where the camera is and where you, how 
close you can get and things like yeah. that. Um, and um, I suppose that I suppose my question really is is like well I suppose there's two sides to the question firstly is kind of like is that something you do in pre before the set you look at how it's going to move do you have like an idea of how the camera's going to move we not so much in pre-production but on on the day you know we might rehearse a shot or you are, you know I'd figure it out with the camera operator what the shot's going to be it's very much a, a, a collaborative process um, and actually like when when we talked about the projects you were helping out on and when I think back to when I was on projects like that, there's some of the hardest things to boom because you have someone who's operating a camera camera that isn't really a camera operator, isn't experienced, doesn't know how to deal with a boom operator. And then you have a boom operator who isn't a boom operator and you have actors that might not have dealt with a, you know the whole wider film crew that much and a director who's never directed before. So the bigger the show, often the easier it can be to get on with the job because everyone is in their right position and they know what they're doing and they know who is responsible. One of the hardest things can be for me is if the cinematographer is operating the camera because they're dealing with the lighting and working with the director and all of that. But if there's someone whose job it is to operate, then I part of their job is to work with the boom operator and other departments to figure out what everyone needs to make the show to get the best and i think that's i think that comes back again to what you said earlier about having a great team you know if a team is everything you know even, even if you, you hear people even if they're like you know silly example but even people playing video games online it's like oh no one's playing together is rubbish you know it's, yeah. it, it, it comes into everything on every level i think is the team i mean that that being said do you think do you think what would you say has been probably the most challenging it doesn't necessarily have to be on a specific project but something that's sort of been like a big challenge for you, like I, I, like I mean, for me, I'd, I'd be paranoid that I didn't record a scene or like, you know, like. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I keep looking here to check I'm recording. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Freaks me out. <laughs> it's a fear, mate. It's a fear, yeah. you know, or things like that. Like, or you got the boom in the shot, and you're like, oh no, you know, like, what do you think's been sort of the most like challenging, I suppose, in that way? I think one of the most, like, one of the most challenging films I did. Uh, and whilst I wasn't um, responsible for the bigger aspects of it, but it did mean I had a lot of work to do, was I did a film called Florence Foster Jenkins, which was uh, a film uh, by Stephen Frears where Meryl Streep um, plays a real singer in, the, I think, the early 1900s um, who couldn't actually sing. Right. She she had a lot of money and she loved to sing, but she couldn't sing. And she became a bit of a star. And Meryl Streep performed it incredibly well. Uh, and the way to capture it was we recorded it live. So all the singing was recorded live. And not only that, she was accompanied by, uh, by a piano player, who was also an actor, uh, which was also recorded live. Right. Uh, so that just meant that, as, as I joked about earlier, where I only have three or four mics to deal with and maybe a few headphones for people and, you know, a couple of booms, all of a sudden this became a bigger task. You know, it was all of a sudden like more like a big TV show rather than a film. Uh, so we had a, a music department who would look after the recording of the piano and any playback requirements, anything like that. The piano, which is really smart, the piano was... Um, they had real pianos that were converted so that you could dampen the keys, but it would record the keys in MIDI. 
Okay. So it'd be there playing a real piano, but it'd pretty much just be dull thuds. Okay. Uh, which meant that, as as I've alluded to earlier, we want to record the dialogue as clean as possible. So it's about removing everything else in the room. Now you can't, it's hard, as you probably know, to try and balance a piano and a singer in the same room. Absolutely. Eliminate the piano, record the singer, and then they went back and... MIDI did. They could, with the MIDI, they could adjust it. They could slip all those, you know, all those wrong keys could be slipped back into place. And then what they did is they, there's pianos that can play MIDI files. So they then put a piano in a recording studio put some beautiful mics over it and replayed and recorded it back. And that's what you hear in the movie. Amazing. Which was really smart. But it was just, for me, that was like, I had a lot going on there. You know, I had uh, hidden earpieces sometimes up to 30 of them in the orchestra. And, uh, you know, there was different headphone feeds, you know, IMs being fed different ways. It was very much more like a, a concert for a band or something. So that made that film particularly challenging. Luckily, I was kind of the person who got everything done rather than the person that was responsible. <laughs> the actual end result. I, yeah. can, I can see that because it's like you go in, I gather you, you go into it and then you look at it and you think, oh, actually hang about. Yeah, this is going to, it's not that you, it's, 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 you could definitely do it, but I suppose it's like you, you, when you actually got into the room, it's like, yeah, this is going to be, this is going to require a lot of mental, you know, where's the coffee shop sort of yeah. thing. Like it's, you know, yeah, I get that. So I think that's the same for, um, for most things. You end up on a session somewhere and you think, ah, this is going to be interesting. Um, but I suppose that's part of the, I think that's part of the fun for us guys. You like to sort of torture ourselves with strange, like creative tasks and how can we record this mental scene kind of thing in the best way possible. Yes. Yeah. You know, um, so that's cool. I think, yeah. And, and that's interesting to see, Obviously, then you got to work with the sound department and music department coming in looking after that. And I hadn't thought because we've I've often thought about kind of recording guitars with amp modulation on the you know software. So you've got the clean yeah. tracks and then re-amping them in a studio through a cab and recording that. Right. And that's kind of what they did with the piano. It's, that's quite interesting. Yeah, yeah it's smart. And uh, that's actually what we, uh, in a recording studio, music recording studio... Certainly historically, you might do things a bit different. Like if it was, you know, you would run certain instruments through a compressor before it even got to whatever you were recording it on. Whereas our goal is pretty much to record everything as clean as possible. Yeah. So that it can then be, you know, because it's so easy to be dealt with in post. You know, like I said to you, like um, I have uh, 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 an AC unit here that's a bit noisy. And if you want to, you might clean it up a little bit. Now, it's very easy for you to do that in post. So we try and record everything as clean as we can, tend not to run it through a compressor or anything like that. The only thing we do have, which is probably slightly different to the music world, is we have limiters on, on our inputs. So, you know, you where I'm peek. talking to you now, I can't peek it out. You know, the, the limiter will kick in. Uh, and you know the day is saved, but technology technology is improving with that, um, you know, all the time. So I think that's the only different aspect. I think that's. I mean, I, I've had it myself a couple of times. Like I've got no, I've got no limiter on this now. You know, I just try and modulate. I've got input monitoring as well, so I can. Yeah. I try and, you know, um, modulate my voice if you like um, and move back. But I think it's. I think it's definitely. Um, I mean, there's what you just you can't really do it because it's. I've had, I've known guys who try to record. They're trying to record vocals and they're trying to get like the singer to hear this amazing sound in their cans, you know. So they've got all these kind of really high-end CPU plug-in reverbs. 
you know, and I'm like, I'm, I'm especially going, you realize that's going to put latency into the recording and it's not, you need to route that through hardware if you want to do that and preferably mm-hmm. on a, preferably through the desk that it's not actually being recorded. Yes. You know, just do it so she can hear it and leave it at that. And, and I think it's, I think it's a text definitely getting better, but I think if you don't fully understand, technically there's nothing wrong with what that guy was doing. He, she, he, she, she was singing better when she could hear that produced sound. It gave her the confidence. I get, I gather that she was, this was going to be sort of nearly final. Um, but because he, and there's nothing wrong with what he did, but he didn't understand that we're trying to record with the lowest yes. latency and the lowest, and you're just putting, you're causing problems in Pro Tools. I think this came, this came up in one of the <coughs> other podcasts, actually. It's very easy to get hung up on tech, uh, especially because we're all kind of, we've all fallen into this because we're a little bit nerdy, right? Absolutely. And it's very easy to get hung up on it, but you've got to remember what's important. And uh, the important thing is, is capturing the performance, whether it's a singer or a violinist or an actor. Um, you know, it's important to get that. And how do we best achieve that? Now, if giving them a sense of reverb in their headphones helps you achieve that, then do it. But you need to go about it in a way that's not detrimental to the original performance you're capturing. Right? Absolutely. And like you say, so split the signal, run that separate uh, through so that that's, you know, the way to go about it. She's not interfering with your tape. Absolutely, definitely. I mean, <clears throat> leading us on to um, to the next question here, Mike, is is, is I, and I like the way I've phrased this, given you saying that we're all a bit of nerds. Yeah, because yeah. it actually says one of my favorite personal topics, gear. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? It's, uh, so I, uh, since I moved to Canada, I've mostly been working as a boom operator, um, which is was the same in the UK too. But I also worked as a sound recordist who, you know, went out and did documentaries and corporates as on my own with my mixer recorder and the boom in my own hand, you know, on my own. Uh, so I still have some of that gear around. I was thinking about going, well, I'll get, I'll get, I'll get the booms out to show you. And then I just thought, why would anyone want to see a long black stick? It's like this, there's nothing exciting about it. But I, you know, I have uh, three boom poles of different lengths and, you know, small, small, medium and large. And I try not to use the large unless I need it because there's weight there. And for me, it's booming is a long game not only on the day, but for my career. So I don't like to have anything heavier than I need. Uh, my my boom poles are made by Ambient and Panamic, if anyone's interested. They're uh, two of the bigger you know, manufacturers. Um, it's a very niche market. Um, you've obviously come across probably the other ones, that are the lower end of the market, which are heavier and harder, you know? Heavier, harder, you know? And, 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 and I do, I mean, mine's by... Dag, which is a really low yes. end, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and yeah. I found that even it's got it's got enough kind of padding around it to a point. But if you move slightly or you try to extend it, forget it; it's going to pick it up. Yeah, yeah. So some of them are better for that. I mostly don't. I would never normally try and adjust the length in the middle of a shot. Although there are times, especially if I'm my boom's not playing at the time, maybe it's another mic. I might make the adjustment to make the next shot but it's all about trying to find the right length find your right position so that you know you can access every actor that you need to without causing shadows right that's the, the biggest of course issue of course yeah of course everyone's pretty everyone seems to be an expert on boom shadows and calling when the boom's in shot which isn't always my fault <laughs> <laughs> it's a collaboration and you know i could rehearse and and it's happened man like there was a t- 
there was there was a day on uh, on uh, solo, and I was on the Millennium Falcon. It was the newer set model of it for the movie, and uh, I kept asking the operator. I said, you know, um, is this? Am I safe here? Am I safe here? It's the, the whole thing's kind of kicking off. It's exploding. Stuff's flying around. So he goes, yeah, you're great there. So I stand there and they start firing everything off. And the guy comes running through with a camera and then he pans right to me. And there I am in shut. <laughs> and they go, cut, right? And it was 15 minutes to reset all the explosives oh, and man. all of that. And luckily the guy went, you know, that was my fault. Because I had asked him several times. Am I okay here? Yeah. Am I good here? So, you know. And I, I don't blame him either for feeling, sometimes I try to predict, you know, and as, you know, I've been doing it for 10 years now, so I slowly understand what they're trying to do. And you can kind of predict what they're going to do, right? They always say for like the focus puller, like they always, always check the length to the door because the operator is always going to go to the door. Like if someone walks in, right? Even if they say they're not going to do it. They're going to do it. Yeah. So there's all these things you can do to cover yourself. Uh, but you do get caught out sometimes. And sometimes it's not your fault. Sometimes it's miscommunication. Sometimes they've decided to do different, forget to tell you. Sometimes you just get it wrong. You know, I'm guessing all the time where the frame line is. Sometimes, uh, sometimes it takes me a couple of weeks if the operator does something slightly different. Like if you imagine like the show Mr. Robot, right? Quite often they're like this, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. me as a boom operator, I can't figure that out because, you know, I don't, how, I don't know where to put it, whereas yeah. I'm more used to this, right? You know, I'm more, uh, you know, a more common frame. That's right. I think, do you think as well, do you think it's like in my world, if I've ever worked with, say as an editor who's picked up um, a, like one of my scores and he likes it, you know, and he's like, and this is why I think in the trailer world, you kind of, you don't, they don't like the composers getting in with the editors because then you can build a working rapport Right. You, you cut out them out basically um yeah you know so do you find that do you find that if you've worked with the same kind of camera crew if you like there's almost like nuances in their movements and their approach that you then could interpret better if you've worked yes. with the same team yeah you kind of you might know what a camera camera operator is more likely to do if you work with them before and then not only that you know their strengths you know their weaknesses as much as they know my strengths and weaknesses right they probably know that around about four o'clock after lunch, I switch off, you know? <laughs> don't talk and to Mike about anything. Don't, yeah, or don't, <laughs> don't expect him to keep the boom out of shot after lunch. Um, so I think that is the case. I think you, you and, and not only that, there's an element of trust too, right? It's, it's like if you're an operator, it's, it's probably a scary thing that if there's a boom operator, and I, I certainly found that when I first arrived in Canada because nobody knows who I am. Uh, if you're, especially if you're, running around with a really heavy steady cam, the last thing you want is, uh, you know, someone, someone getting in the way with the boom, right? And uh, ruining the take that, you know, you put a lot of energy into. But the beautiful thing about a take is that it's there, we do it, and in the hope that everyone gets everything right, right? So sound, camera, actors, costume, lighting, you know. It's there. The grips. Like everyone has to get it right on that day. And if we get it all right, great. Yes, sometimes maybe Sam doesn't get it right, but they love the take. So we're going to deal with it. We'll either steal the line from a previous take or ADR or whatever, or, you know, technology is changing. Maybe camera, you know, 
maybe the exposure wasn't quite right, but it's very easy to, you know. To, to, so I suppose in a way, what, really what I'm getting is, is very much patience, you know, and I, I do want to come back to this work-life balance, but not quite yet yeah. in terms of the times you're on the set. But I think, you know, like, has there been times where you've had to kind of say, cut, or is that, would that be more the mixer who would, who would give that direction to say that the sound was It crap? depends. I mean, that's, that's, that's a relationship you have to build up with a director and the first assistant director who runs the set uh, and the mixer and everyone else involved because some people don't want you to call cut. You know, you don't know what the director's looking for is the important thing. So uh, certainly in the early days, you see some people kind of getting worked up about an aspect, you know, of a shot when the director only cares about the opening, you know, shot or all they care about is actually in the last few takes, they got it great. It's just that they didn't get them walking out the door well. Sure. So you yell cut on take four because there's a plane. Yeah, when it actually didn't, it, it, when she's intentioned, it wasn't. Yeah, I understand. No, that. I've definitely, I've definitely called cut when there's a technical, when we're not rolling sound, when there's an issue like that. Uh, that's a no-brainer. The other stuff I've, I've done, but you, that's uh, a relationship you have to build up with the director, whether they're going to let you do it, or, okay, you know, trust you to do it. It makes sometimes that's a great way to you know, upset everyone involved. Well, I suppose, know. but it's one of those things, isn't it? I suppose it's a difficult call because you, you can't wing it if you're not recording, mate, or you're not, or you're not, if, if you, if you, yeah, that's a, I think that's I mean? a, I think that's a different, that's a different game. And, uh, you know, bad things happen all the time, especially as, you know, if you think about the amount of hours I've spent on a film set, you know, I used to, that used to bother me a lot in, in the early days, you know, making mistakes and things like that. But I do it so often, right? Like I'm doing it all the time that, yes, I'm going to get it wrong someday or something's not going to go the way we want it to go. We obviously, we do our best to, you know, like I had the gear last night set up to record this, make sure it all works, check it again this morning. I keep looking now. There's so many things you can do, but stuff still happens. That's right. You know? That's right. So, and I think, and like you said, like for instance, with the example with Solo, you know, that, that absolutely wasn't your fault, but because that, because that guy said you'll be fine there, and perhaps he honestly thought maybe he was focused on something else and just hadn't made that. Yeah, I don't think, I think at the time you know, he thought that, that I was fine there, but absolutely. then obviously as an actor does something, he decides he wants to go there. Yeah. It's so much to play, and I, and I think what's coming through constantly, which I, which I my big take home so far is, it's, it's, it is the collaboration and just people got our own up. Like I love the fact that yeah, got... and and communication, right? Absolutely, like, yeah. Don't yeah. don't be afraid to put your hand up and say I made a mistake, or you know I need some more help here, or that didn't work for me. You know, this is what I need. What what are you looking for? Yeah, you know, absolutely. And and, and don't and I... don't presume what everyone else is is trying to get out of the situation. That's um, right. I keep focused on that film, you know, and, and I like the fact as well as well that got, like, that was on me. That that sort of thing's perfect. If someone tries to sort of say, Mike, what are you doing? You're like, well, dude, I did say like three times, like, am I okay here? Then you get arguing and I think... If, yeah, that doesn't happen. It's not, it's it's not, not like that. You just move on. Yeah. You can get on. And, and like I say, the, the, more, the bigger the show I'm on, the, the more professional people can be and the easier things like that are. Perfect. Perfect. But I am also aware, you know, the bigger the film is, quite often the more sound can take a back seat. Uh, there are exceptions to that rule. Uh, but, you know, there's only three or four sound people on a film set and there could be hundreds of people dealing with the image. Yeah. Be it costume, sets people, you know, camera people. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. It's a, it's a big old thing. I mean, so, do, so would you say that nowadays, I remember I think one of the last times we hang out in the UK, 
um, in fact, I think this was quite a while ago, you were showing me like a new kind of like um, mixer, like recorder you bought and things like that. Do you yeah. find that now, do you, do you find that, that, that generally when you're on those, like when you're on the boys, for instance, you're literally kind of tying up with your with your boom gear and that's, that's all yeah, you really so, need, yeah? Yeah, my gear's kind of taken a seat uh, for now. This actually is the first time I've used this recorder since uh, the end of 2017. I, wow. I got, to, I got to go do a documentary uh, in Canada for Netflix for a few days. Uh, it's sat there and it's actually been superseded since, but it still is a great recorder. It's a Sound Devices 633. Sexy. Uh, and we were talking about this earlier. I, I've never gone crazy on buying gear because the gear... I'm, you know, as much as this is a passion for me and I love doing what I do, it's to make money. Of course. Really, is, um, you know, it's to try and support myself. Uh, so I won't buy gear unless it's going to make me money or get me work. So I won't go out and just buy everything just because I feel like that's what I want to get. And I feel like, you know, if I've already got the tool to do the job. Now, there is a there is a level of... You know, you have to have something, right? Like I always, you know, when I first started buying the gear, I was like, well, if you're a plumber, then you really should have a spanner. Like there's no, you can't say, yeah, I'll take the gig. You haven't got a spanner, have you? You know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, you have to have a bit of it, but don't go crazy. You know, just buy what you need. Make money on that. And if you find you need more, sometimes I rent gear in. You know, I borrow it off friends or, you know, hey, have you got a mic? that will suit me. Like I have the same as you. I have a, a shotgun up above me. It's a MKH 60. It's been superseded a few times. This mic's from the nineties, but it sounds great. Uh, but if I need something else like a cardioid or a hyper, I want to buy one. Don't get me wrong. I'd love one, but I don't, I don't take it out to work that much. So it's not necessarily, you know. I mean, one of my friends, he recently bought a, bought a Neumann mate, you know, three yeah. and a half grand. And I, I, I kind of thought, Okay, that's that's cool. And he's got the nice case, and it's you can see it's a it's a piece of art for him. But I'm thinking, you know, you're not going to get a re you might get a return on that in ten years. But right now, where you're at, you're not. It's not. It wasn't needed. You could have bought a. And they aren't going to really pay any different to you know if you just had something by sure sitting yeah, on the side, right? Exactly. I mean, Shaw's a great mic, and even some of the Audio Technica stuff. Um, yeah. You know, like some of those. Um, um, podcast mics they do you know yeah I mean we I talked yesterday we were talking about the Shure, um uh, SB7 SM7 yes. yeah. and um, I first I mean I know that's Michael Jackson's mic he used that on the whole of bad and whatever else and I've used it it's great and yeah you see all the podcasters with that specific mic and I know why they're using that mic it's because you can gain the hell out of it, it doesn't yeah. really tend to tend to kind of you needs to be close to your mouth which again is good mm -hmm. um, but the roads running I mean I bought this nine years ago yeah, yeah. and it's fine mate it's, yeah. it's all yeah, good it's like a couple hundred pounds or something yeah it's 200 here's, quid I think here's the thing like if you if you all of a sudden get the opportunity to record an incredible musician you can go rent the Neumann right yeah a and it's going to cost you even if you just did it for yourself even if you just went this is a great opportunity I want to listen to something real nice you can just go off rent it see if you like it uh, play around with it um and then, you know, even compare it to the other mics you have and then send it back the next day, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's like, that was and, done. I've got the recording. Wicked. No, yeah, so um, you still got the cash in the bank. And I think it's, and this is a particularly important point of conversation now while we're during lockdown. And you were talking about the work, you kept referring mm -hmm. to this work-life balance, which we haven't really discussed yet. But 
when I'm working, especially in Canada, the hours are incredibly longer. Uh, I'm here back in the UK, I think I was working maybe 55 hour weeks, whereas here it's at least 65. Wow. Um, so it's not uncommon to do a 14 hour work day. So that doesn't include your hour lunch or, you know, turning up and setting up, getting to work and wrapping up and leaving all of that. So they could be incredibly long days, but I keep my life as, you know, I enjoy myself and I have nice things, but I also don't go crazy because I, you know, those long days obviously result in big paychecks, but my income kind of goes like this. Of course. And I, I try to live, you know, bang in the middle. Yeah. Which so is smart. Now, you know, with what's going on with the lockdown and this, I'm probably now at the longest time I've ever not worked since I started in the film industry, you know, a couple of months off. I'm okay. You know, it's fine. Like I've, I've, uh, I've always prepared to not be working for a little bit and I'm enjoying life, you know, because <laughs> when you're working 14 hour days, there is no life apart no. from on a film set. And don't get me wrong. We all love anyone who's on a film set for any length of time wants to be there. It's like the circus and we've all run away and uh, we want to be there and we love it. But, you know, life can go by, you know. Absolutely, 14-hour days. And you're, I suppose that really is, I suppose in some ways, that is why maybe getting into a team and sort of sticking with that team, at least for, say, a, I know people have spoken about, say, the Nolan um, Batman trilogies obviously ran for 10 years. Yeah. You know, in terms of longevity of the production, obviously there's a real family there. And there's probably yeah. been some long, some lifelong friends made through those oh, sorts of Oh, yeah, totally. And you, you, find them, you find them on other films too, right? Like you might come across the camera crew on a different job with other new people or, you know, things like that. There's, uh, that's one of the best things about our job is you work together intensely with someone for a few months and then you go off. And, and I like this balance. I, I wouldn't like to work nine to five every day, every weekday for the rest of my life. I like not being working for a couple of weeks or, yeah. you know, this winter I took a couple of days off of my job to go snowboarding, you know. Like I try to enjoy my life too. Because I think that's important for your work as well. I think if you don't enjoy yourself and have a life, then that can affect your final product and what you do with working. I, I think I agree. And I, th so, I think so, so from what I'm getting is it will be almost like, you know, intense, 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 intense for weeks and weeks, maybe even two, three months. But then you're like, I'm off for a month. So yes. you try, you know, and I, and I gather during that time, I mean, would you say you're, you're obviously it's probably going to change and switch depending on where you are, but you know, would you say it's literally 14 hour day, come home, chill for one hour, go to bed, get up and just, is it just literally just grind, grind, grind for that time? I, I think when I was younger and when I first started out, I would come home, try and enjoy myself, have a couple of beers, do whatever. And I didn't sleep that well. And it became a recurring cycle of, you know, slog whereas now i just accept it for what it is come home unwind for a little bit go to bed in the most part i just because our out you know sometimes i'm coming home at like two three in the morning uh and as as because we work such long days as the week goes on it you know i could be starting at 5 p.m on a friday having started at 7 a.m on the monday so i tend to just go home and sleep and when i wake up whatever time i have spare i use that to enjoy or go to the gym or you know do any of these things to look after myself sure um but yeah I, I wait for the downtime so you know right now i'm trying my best to enjoy myself <laughs> <laughs> trying to use the time well mate well yeah I, I, I think 
I think that's kind of, um, I think for me, it's been difficult at times because obviously I've still had to keep some sort of day job. And while I can, I've managed to find a way that I can negotiate the hours. So if I get yes. busy here, I can go right. And then if I don't, I can go like that. Yeah. That's starting to level with royalties and things. Like I'm starting to stuff I've done years ago is sort of paying now. So I can mm-hmm. take some of those, even even if it's a YouTube video and it's some ad rev or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, um, and whatever else. But I, there's definitely been times where I'm like, what am I doing? You know, it's like I've just done whatever work hours, you know, a, a day job essentially. And now I'm doing this on top of that. And that's been hard for me to, to manage. I end up just not speaking to, but like we said, I better call my mum kind of thing. It has been like that at times where I realise I haven't actually spoken to anyone yeah, yeah. <laughs> for, for, for months, you know. And, and yeah. uh, uh, But I think it's just, I think as you, you, I think you highlighted it, I think it's just maturity. As you get a little bit older, you start to realise, well, actually those two beers are going to mean I'm going to sleep like crap and I'm not going to wake up properly tomorrow and actually just use this time to give my mum a quick call. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just structuring yeah, yeah. your life better. I think you yeah. just, when you're younger, you think you're invincible, don't you? And you can, you can get away with everything. You don't realise, you don't realise, yeah, you don't realise the balance. You're just putting everything in, doing everything you can do. Like I don't, I don't actually drink coffee anymore. Like I, I thought about giving up alcohol, you know, and I just couldn't see that happening. So I was like, well, how about coffee? And I gave up coffee and uh, it's fine. Like once I got over the initial shock of it and uh, I find that, yeah, some mornings I'm tired. Some evenings I'm tired. Some nights I sleep really well because I haven't had any coffee. Some days I don't, but I think on the whole it's probably an up. But uh, yeah, you, you find those balances, I think, as you go through life and as you understand your job a bit more. Definitely. No, I think you're right. I think coffee's, everyone loves, everyone, coffee's become like a, you know, how it's become such almost like a, a staple statement in the world, in the world, especially in the West. I don't know, but it's, yeah. you know, it, 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 it's interesting, isn't it? How we all, it wasn't really a thing when we were kids, right? No, like, no it was tea and... and it, it was, was all tea. Nescafe, and if you were lucky, it might be the gold blend. Yeah, like, that's, it, it, it's someone spoiling you with that. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's strange how that's become a thing. I think it feeds into the whole mentality of work, 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 which we all live in at the moment. That's, that's yeah. that's 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 what we're in you know i mean just to bring it slightly just to bring it slightly back would you would you just a few words i suppose on what do you think's been your what do you think's been your favorite project and that's probably going to be a really hard one to answer it is tough because there's there's kind of there's there's for me there's there's two different categories for that question and one is the best project to work on and the other is what's the best project either in success or to watch back you know uh, Avengers was a lot of fun. I don't know why there was something about it. It was just very fun. We did lots of, you know, we spent a whole summer in Hendon, uh, shooting that Sokovia sequence. Uh, it was an old, it was the old metropolitan police training ground. That was a lot of fun, you know, superheroes and explosions and, you know, all of that. But my most favorite film I've ever worked on, because one, I think it's a lovely film. And two, it just had a great story. Real story was a film called Philomena by Steve. Philomena. Yeah, great um, film. Really nice, well written. Had this incredible balance uh, from Steve Coogan of humor and drama. True story, you know. I got to meet the real Philomena, which I thought was important, and it kind of gives a voice to this story, you know, uh, that happened. So um, I think that's the one I'm probably most proud of and my my favorite. But it, you know, it, it depends on. You know, I had a lot. I had a great time on the boys, but I was also sick, so I couldn't enjoy all of it. And that actually gave me another kind of grounding, where it's like, well, I'm not going to be, you know, 100% all the time. You know, it's not. 
possible. And actually, that's um, when we were when you were talking about you know having the day job and the you know the the passion job, which yeah. we both have. Uh, and I'm fortunate enough that my passion job has you know got to overtake any aspect of filling the gaps. I think it's important to have that flexibility because you never know where a contact comes from. You know, like I've had times where I've had no work on and all of a sudden the phone rings and it's from a contact that I made years ago through another friend and, you know, or because I just came out for the day to help out. Sure. You know, whatever. Like you don't know where these things come from. So you've always got to try and make yourself available and always go out and give 100% to whatever you do. I've turned down countless short films and little projects like that that, you know, aren't really paying me enough to survive, but that's not always an issue for me. Um, the, you know, if I can't give my all to a project, then I don't want to be there because you just end up giving yourself a bad name, you know, rather than what you're trying to achieve. The whole point of taking something that maybe doesn't have money on offer is to make more contacts, to build up your resume and to have something to show people. Now, if you're trying to cram that in <laughs> to an otherwise already busy schedule and you're not going to give them the time to get it done right, or you're not going to give yourself the time to get, to get it done right, then it just seems to backfire, which is a shame because a lot of people forget that you're doing them a favor. <laughs> uh, Absolutely. But it's important to just remember that. And quite often, I, I, don't know, I don't know how that would work for you, but I used to, when someone used to call me up for a short film in the early days, and they would say like, yeah, we're going to shoot a short film in six days, which amazed me because I've, you know, I've shot, like you can shoot an hour's worth of TV in six days if you really wanted to, which I've done. But um, sometimes if I've not been so sure about it or it's not something that people I've already known, I would quite often say, well, look, I kick enough for you a day or two, right? Or I'll come out and boom a couple of days. And the people that are worth working for come back and say, that's fantastic. Yeah. We'd love to use you. We'll be in touch. The people that aren't worth working for are the ones that are like, well, this is ludicrous. We need someone for the whole week. You know, they're trying to, and you're asking more, not realizing the worth that you're giving them, right? By two days, two days of your time. It's worth a lot. Has, has yeah. a, a big value to it, you know, even that's if right. you're just starting out. And it's important to remember that. Um, and if you can do the job, you're you're worth it. So... Do you th I mean, I suppose that kind of one of the questions I had was like, if you've got any kind of advice for people starting in the field, which I know is a very hard question for, I think, for anyone in our industry to offer up, because I personally, from my perspective, don't think there's a preset route that you can no, take. There no, no um, there isn't. No, no, there isn't. So w would you say your advice is literally get out there, mess up, learn from it, buy some kit, don't spend too much money, do some projects, go to a good film school? that can get you some connections? Yeah, and... like if you can get to a film school or um, there, there there are, I mean, I any advice I give now is pre-COVID-19. So I don't know <laughs> how many of these apprenticeship programs, but I know the British Film Institute had like a trainee program, especially from people from, you know, uh, minority backgrounds or harder, you know, people that would historically find it harder to get into the film industry. Uh <laughs> Skill set, I don't know if they're still around, but they are kind of funded by the government to help training in the film industry and the media industry. Um, if if failing that, then look at um, these hire companies. Like I say, like, you know, one of the benefits of you, say, instead of buying the Neumann off Amazon or whatever, if you hire one, every time you go to hire it, you go into a kit room 
and you meet other people and there might be someone else hiring annoyment next to you, right? Like you don't, you know, it's another way to connect. So if you can reach out to these companies that, you know, the rental companies, you can get in there, uh, start at the ground, learn the gear, and then you start to meet other sound people coming in and saying, I want to come out. Or like, why, why have you just rented... This 50 microphones. <laughs> yeah, why have you got 50 microphones? You must, do you need a hand? I'll just come out, you know. So many opportunities available to you. So uh, be open. Be open, you know, smile. You never know who is really who. Like I try to be uh, kind to everyone on a film set. It's hard when you're tired, uh, but, you know, everyone's part of the team. And I've seen, you know, I've seen people take it out on the runners or people like that. And one, I just don't see the point. They're not, you know, they're not the people in charge. They're just relaying the information. But also, five years later, that runner could be a producer, right? That's right. You know, you you have to be kind to everyone. And, it's, a small, uh, it's definitely a small industry. It's definitely, if you, you know, even going through... Um, uh, like looking through Facebook, you know, you meet a new connection and you're like, oh, hang about, you know him, him and her, and oh, okay, I did that. And you suddenly start to see the picture um, develop. Yeah. So I think there's I think there's part of that. I mean, I think you, <clears throat> I think it's difficult because I definitely had, I, I can remember taking up a project that was going to be for free, you know, as a feature film for free. <clears throat> and like, wow, that's for a composer to write, you know, <clears throat> 60 minutes of music or whatever for free you know and, and whatever else which I, I was open to and I said I'd do it but I think it's I think it's like you say it's how then the you know I think there was a period of time where I got an email on like a Friday night you know and I thought well I'll get back to that on Monday and it's like you yeah. know there was then a, there was then a question mark about my commitment and I kind of thought well you're not paying me dude like you know it's this is going to be quite an uptaking and yeah I didn't email you back on a Friday night you know and so maybe I had the wrong attitude there um, but the project never took off. It never went anywhere. It never was shot. Yeah, you know. This so. is where you have to. This is where you have to kind of gauge. And I get better at reading. I would always get an email, right? And I read the email, and, and you, you get better at gauging. You know what, uh, what you know what they're offering, right? Like, and 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 who they are as a person, and how they're going to treat you, right? That's right. Like, you know, if someone's emailing, if someone was emailing me on a Friday night or something about that. I would either expect them, if they wanted a response, I would expect them to explain the urgency and appreciate that it's my weekend um, or just ignore it and be happy that I responded on a Monday, right? That's right. You know, I you think, have to protect yourself. I think that's right. I think it's, I suppose from my point of view is, is that like, you know, it's like there wasn't much gratitude there that, you know, actually I was willing to engage in, you know, and I was starting to network because I always do that. If I'm working on a film, I like to try and talk to the actors, the actresses, I like to kind of, if I can, I'll go down to the set and sort of see what's going on. And, all, and as well, there's always quite an intense relationship between, the, well, in my experience anyway, between the composer and the director is always quite intense. Um, yes. Um, and it, you have to invest a lot of time um, talking about a lot of subjects. You know, I'll start talking about philosophy and like, one of my, what's your favorite philosopher will be normally my, depending on who it is, obviously, but that's normally yeah. a question because it's like, I'm trying to actually get inside their brain and understand how they see the world. Because yeah. the, how they see the world is is is, is going to be the color of their film, mm-hmm. um, and that is that is quite a, you know, you should be in the studio writing the cues, but actually you're out in a coffee shop, in the centre of London, you know, talking about all these kind of things because you're trying to build that relationship. And I think you touched on a really good point there, where I have tried to. Is it worth me kind of going through that? Is this project gonna? 
I suppose if you take like to take Scarlett Johansson working on something like Under the Skin, really weird move you could say for her. But I yeah. kind of understand is is keeping her in that indie um, sort of um, it's a smart move. It's keeping you yeah. in. It's keeping her in within a within a grounded. within a keeping well, her grounded. That's right. It's like it, like for a composer, it could be really easy to go off and make a load of money writing jingles for adverts or something like that, right? Yeah. But nobody's in it for that. No. Right. So. No. I and I I always find the same, and that's why I think I said earlier, like the money isn't always important to me, uh, but I want to be treated fairly, right? And some of the best short films I've ever made, I was paid minimum wage, and everyone was paid minimum wage. It didn't matter who you were, and everyone was paid the same, and I felt appreciative about that. And actually, I did one short film where I was paid minimum wage, where um, uh, we wrapped on late on a Friday night, and we had a little wrap party on the Saturday, and I woke up very late on the Saturday. And I just checked my bank and uh, my invoice had already been paid. And I went to the rep and said to the producer, like, wow, you know, why, why have you paid my invoice already? I only just sent it in last night when we wrapped. And he said, well, you're working for me for, for next to nothing. It's the bottom that I could pay anyone. The least I could do is make sure it was in your account as soon as Ready I could. To get, to good you know, and so you need to... And you develop, depending on what kind of work you're doing in the sound industry or whatever, you need to find questions that you can ask people that help you understand who they are and how they're going to treat you. That's and right. are they going to treat you fairly? Or not. Um, yeah, or not. And then, you know, you, but then you still have to be careful if you're working for free. Like, you know, with that feature film you did, you know, that could have an adverse effect on your career if you went about it the wrong way. Precisely that, precisely that, and I, I think it's touching on what you said there as well. I've had, I've had it as well, where it's like, um, oh, well, we're sort of paying certain people, we're not paying other people, and I'm thinking, so hang yeah, on. Well, uh, yeah, it's hard to <laughs> hard to pay a composer fair, right? And often, often I'm the only paid person on a film set because everyone wants to shoot, everyone wants to act, you know. That's right. Composers are always looking to try and get their music out there, but That's to right. get a guy to stand on set with a stupid boom in his hand, right? <laughs> nobody wants to do that, and nobody can do it well. So it's a it's a niche role, mate, and I think you've I think it's I think it's that. But again, it's the family. I think this element of family keeps coming through to me. Long hours, you know, family, family, kind of keeping it, keeping it. You're in this workforce for a long, long time. You touched um, you touched briefly on the kind of work hour difference between the UK um, and Canada. Do you think there's has there been kind of I mean, what, I spoke a couple of days ago to a chap who lives in Michigan, and we were talking. This was from a composer standpoint. We were talking mm-hmm. about even in America, can it, do you have to live in LA? Can you live in Michigan? Can you? That was kind of a conversation we had, kind of working extensively in both, kind of across the ponds, if you like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Besides those work hours, which is, I was actually quite surprised that you said that because that, yeah, that it just, I don't know why it just surprised me. I didn't. I almost thought it'd be the opposite way around. Um, yeah, part part of the reason is I think is that the biggest, well, at the crew are not the biggest expense on a show, right? Even when they pay us double time or whatever, the the biggest expenses is the studio rental, the equipment rental, the actors, and the actors as they get you know as we as they get bigger, they have bigger schedules that you know you only have them for a few weeks in a project or for a few months, so you have to cram it in, right? Sure. So they make the day as long as possible because the crew are cheap. Sure. Uh, I don't necessarily mind it because, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here during COVID quite happily because, you know, when I work, I work long hours. If I only worked a 40 hour week, I wouldn't yeah. have the money to save buy. up and yeah, absolutely like keep I it going. Now. So 
I don't mind it. Yeah, sometimes it gets you like, what? Story. <laughs> and back home, the days were only long when they needed to be here. Sometimes they're just long and I don't get it. And that's the one I hate the most, you know, like when time is just wasted. But, you know, it's about playing around and trying to find the right <laughs> performance and uh, getting the scene as it can be. Uh, but I do find that after about 12 hours of work, my you're not getting the best of me. No. Probably even after 10, you're not getting the best of me. So You're going you through know. the motions in an autopilot, I suppose. And, you know, it's, yeah. And, and there has been talks, you know, of, of uh, post-COVID, you know, that the hours might be reduced because it's not good for your health either. And, you know, it's not good for everyone involved. So it'd be interesting to see what happens there. It's, but then also like my work is I'm on set. Like I, I turn up, especially as I'm not the mixer, I don't have to prepare much for the day. I can maybe read the script pages the day before, but I turn up, deal with the day and I leave. And I need everyone else there to do it. Now, when I've done anything on my computer, editing or, you know, music related or anything like that, you could just stay up all night. You're like, I just got to finish never finished. Thing. It's never yeah. finished. Yeah. You know, you just got to keep going at it, uh, which is tough. And I think that's partly why I ended up going down the route I did, because I just didn't want to live in a bedroom doing no. what I was doing. No. You no. Know? It, 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 it's, it's, it's definitely a thing. It's de I mean, I, I get better, you know, it's like by me doing this podcast, that's really helped me get talking to people you know and i'm meeting more people now all the time and i'm sort of like i'm starting to go i did kind of like sort of go into my bedroom and i'm not coming out for five years like that i did yeah. i've kind of gone through that and now i'm kind of coming out the other side of that mm -hmm. um and starting to want to kind of um you know for a long time I, it's weird i almost didn't really want to talk to anyone i wanted to just get in and just write my notes and fiddle around with sample libraries but that isn't really me i'm quite an outgoing guy and and um i'm finding that i'm starting to get out of the studio more and focus my time better. So I think definitely it's every job that would make you a better, that would make you a, a better composer too, right? Like just being out there and involved in life and definitely you know, well, finding inspiration and, or well, even, you know, recording. I remember, um, I listened to, uh, Billie Eilish talking about a song, uh, bad boy and how they got certain elements that they just recorded in the street, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I mean, it, it, it. I think it's being a composer is weird because you, you're basically trying to write about human experience from an emotional standpoint, and it can be tricky where where you're trying to fill in perhaps where the director didn't capture a specific yes. emotion, and that can yeah. sometimes be tricky. And it yeah, can, so you it, can add tension or you can remove it. That's right. That's right. And but that can actually weigh heavily on your mental health because you're actually becoming this horrible thing, say that's happened. Yes. You're you're living it and way rewatching it and you're you can get quite wrapped up in that. Um so I think you know, shutting everything down and going out for a twenty minute walk or ringing the director and saying, Hey man, how's it going? is really important because otherwise you just, people see you after like a month and you're just miserable because you've just yeah, been yeah. sort of like, like, like um uh de no definitely I'm getting out there and getting out there and recording stuff. And I mean, you say that with Billie Eilish, she's, you know, one of the tracks I did at uni was Maritime Discoveries, was literally me with a crappy Elysius 90 pound handheld recorder walking through the streets of Brighton, you know, to uni and back. So I had about 40 minutes of recording and I just chopped it all up and like made an ambient track from buses and dogs barking and mm -hmm. people talking and, and sort of just sort of put it all together and through like, you know, time stretching and reversing and fading and reading yeah. that stuff i came up with a really cool track and that was not even touching an instrument 
So I think you're right. I think for, for from that and definitely from a sound design, I don't like this term sound design because it it confuses people, you know, um, and it, I don't I don't know whether that maybe there's something you might be able to kind of fill in as well. I know it goes into like post really, but, you know, like the, me as a sound, as a film composer, I'll put these droney elements in and these droney atmospheres. And that is kind of, to me, sound design. But mm-hmm. it falls, it kind of merges the gap. The yeah, composer, the composer. Yeah, and, uh, it's, it's really then, weird. In, in in terms of a big film, then is that, uh, and then quite often you, I think a composer would hand over stems, so you would hand over, not not just the recorded track, you would hand over stems of it, so you know you had the strings and the drums and whatever, so that then the mixer, the post production mixer could still affect the mood slightly with what you get. Like, so the drone would be quite low maybe different. at a certain point and, you know, they can bring up the strings and they still have some play. I think, yeah. I think though, from what I've heard, it depends on who's willing to give up, you know, their... <laughs> their stems. Their, their creative control, right? <laughs> yeah. This is my, you know, do Absolutely. I want to hand over what I've done to someone else? Um, to then do that. Ex- ex- and that's another thing. You've got dub and re-recording. And I can never, is it dub in the UK or is it a re-recording in the States? Yeah, I think yeah, I think dub in the UK, re-recording in the, in States. the States. Yeah. So that's another difference then between the UK and the US. There's lots of different <laughs> tasks and a few people have different, uh, different titles, different responsibilities. Um, I, here I'm, I work in a union under IATSE, which isn't the case back home. Uh, which has its its pluses and it has its negatives. I think there's more plus than negative, but you know both are there. Um, to go back on what you were saying a minute ago, uh, and it's interesting actually that you said that you there were tracks that you made ten years ago that are slowly starting to make you money now. I think if I was approached to do a feature film for free, one of the things I would say is I want to keep control of of the tracks. Like uh, these these aren't yours these are mine and you can use them in the film because then down the line you can maybe use them again obviously if the film becomes very successful that might be a different conversation um definitely you you know you could also say well if the film becomes successful then we can talk about licensing the track in a better way for you yeah i mean some of it's come sometimes we get you know we i've taken gross points before um, which, but then of course the project, I had a lot of time, man, where the project just didn't get off the ground. It didn't no, come, and, the, know, and they, they never, like, there's only been a couple of films in history where people have really made money out of points. And, and, you know, part of that is just the same way any of us run business is that you're trying to keep the, the overall income down so that you have less tax liability. And if you've got to give all the crew money because your film made a lot of money, then you're going to try and show that it didn't make any money you know yeah, yeah of course yeah well that's that's why i went for gross points yeah yeah so, um, I, I was smart with that one the net points yeah. no gross points yeah. yeah yeah um you um, know but that but that yeah there's conversations around there and i think you're right i think there's definitely been where i've kind of sat there and thought look i've got like 100 cues now you know and these ones really were on a iden you know some digital iden and never really went anywhere and it's like well look let's open a session re i mean the actual the intro to this podcast, which I did very quickly, I'll replace it at some point. I just wanted to get something out there, but that's an old track I did in like 2010. There you I go. Yeah. Ripped the brass out of it and just sort of yeah. re- recorded over it. And it's, you know, or, or stuff of old films that perhaps, you know, went to the festival, did okay, but then were shelved. 
It's like, well, yeah. that score's sitting there and it's half an hour. So it's like, right, let's strip it out. Let's send it off to production library. It's that, it's that obviously now we're talking about composers, but it's, it's, it, it, I think it's all that, it's all that sort of stuff. I, I have to, I have to make my money differently. I suppose I have to be, you have to work smart. Like don't keep yeah. composing stuff over and over again when you, you've already no got need. it. Exactly yeah. that. Exactly um, that. Exactly that. And COVID for me has been obviously for you. I, you know, because you because I think that's one thing I've always said to anyone trying to go freelance is save some damn money because you yeah. are going to be out of work at times. And, yeah. Yeah. And um, or you just need time off, or like yeah. or you say you get ill. You know, whatever yeah. you need, you need to have that buffer. I think anyone should have at least like three months rent. Yeah, minimum um, for, in, our, in for our industry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but um, so that's. For me, it's actually been okay. I've done a short film during the lockdown, you know, I, I, which is kind well, of... Well, this is actually, yeah, post, post people can keep working, right? And actually you can monopolize on this, whereas I am basically sat on the sofa because I have to be on set, right? Exactly but, that. But I'm also, I've also been prepared for this because my life comes and goes in work and, you know, I'm busy working and then I'm sat on the sofa and then I'm busy working and sat on the sofa. So, <laughs> you know, I had a good run for a few years. Absolutely. Uh, I was really busy here and uh, I was really busy before I arrived here. So I'm okay with it, you know? I'm Absolutely. Gonna... And I, lo- I kind of love the fact because I'd, I'd like to, if, things, if a few things kind of go my way, I'd like to come over to the States next year. Yeah. You know, and with, with you being in Toronto, it's not, it's not a long... No, it's not, it's not long, man. Yeah, you know, you're so more than I, we can, we can, uh, we can uh, and that's kind of what I'm trying to do for next year. Is, is you know, when I spoke to Grant, uh, he's a good friend of mine, a Michigan composer, and we kind of said, look, let's find a, let's meet up in LA, you know, and um, that's my kind of when I came over in 2015, it was definitely more of a holiday, um, and although I touched a little bit on. I went to a few studios and I went to Sony and saw the saw the scoring stage, the Barbara Streisand stage, and kind of like found some places. I was a bit reserved then in that I was on holiday and I was kind of like, I didn't, yeah, it wasn't, yeah. you know, whereas this time I think it's definitely going to be holiday, but work. Yeah. Maximize um, your And maximize my time there, mate. Yeah. It, Mike, I mean, obviously I'm going to link down your, your IMDB um, yeah. for all the guys um, and, um, uh, you know, in the, uh, both on the audio version and the video version. Is there any kind of, I think we've gone through pretty much the questions. Is there anything you, you wanted to add uh, to the podcast? I don't think so. No, I think I kind of covered it. You know, I, I think I guess one of the things I wanted to get out of it is uh, helping other people move forward. You know, and get to where they want to get. Uh, so, I think we covered that. You know, work hard. Don't, don't let yourself be taken advantage of. Uh, but know that if there's if someone asks you to come work for you for the, for them, and they don't want to pay you the going rate, then what can you get out of it? You know, remember that what, and make sure that there's an understanding that you're both getting something out of it. Like that film you were talking about, make sure they know that it's a two way street. You're not just providing them with a score for free. You know, you're getting something out of it too. That's right. I think that's good advice. Be it stock, you know, you know, music stacked up in your library or contacts or that you can then put the film on your website or, you know, whatever, you know, just try and get something out of it for yourself. I think that's yeah, I think that's good advice, mate. Just makes it, it yeah. It, that has definitely been the big take home. Is it's, it is about to and throw and teamwork and and, and mutual respect and and uh, and uh, yeah. I think if any one of those sides goes down in in, a, in an industry as tough with the long hours, you're going to fail. It's going to go wrong. It's going to yeah. get sour. Um, so sour quick. Well, Mike, thanks so much for coming on, mate. I mean, I'm Pleasure. sure nice we'll, to see um, you. Nice to see you too. We will. We must keep yeah. in touch more often, mate. <laughs> it's really bad. We've been awful at it, you know. Um, yeah. But that's that's life. That's, that's the that's way it goes. That's what's been great about COVID, though, right? It's like everyone got to stop. Everyone's yeah. like, okay, guys, because 
like my industry stuff. Well, you know, I get downtimes in my work all the time, but I'm thinking, well, there's another job running. Like, shouldn't I be? I should be working. Whereas there's nothing running. Nobody's working. We can just all stop and think about it. Spend take, time with family. Take and, stock. Uh, yeah. Absolutely, and, uh, take stock. Because and get ready because it's going to get busy again. One of the, one of the things I always learned most, especially as January, February was always used to be the quiet time, but it became the busy time like any other uh, in recent years. But I would always make sure I had everything in order, ready to go. And it took me a while to learn this, but you had to make sure you were in a ready position so that when the phone rang, you were ready to go. You, you could pick up your bag and go. And I suppose, actually, there's one thing I was going to say, because there's, there's a few conversations I've had um, with a few people kind of dotted around different different industries. And the word seems to be that, you know, most people have consumed most of Netflix or they've consumed most of Apple, um, of, of um, Amazon Prime or even Apple yeah. originals they're doing now. Yeah. And I think that, I think you're right. I think there's going to be quite a big, while it may be, in, it may be to begin with, like you say, you think the hours are going to be less. I kind of think these companies are going to want to get their content out. That's been sitting yeah, there for I think, months. I think, yeah, I think, that, I think we, I think it could either go two ways. We could either like, as soon as production is back, it could ramp up like crazy. Um, just to fill these gaps and supply the demand. And I also, you never know, people, like I'm kind of bored of watching Netflix right now. Maybe it's because there's nothing on there, but the weather's it's nice true. and I want to get out. Yeah, so it, it, it could go either way, you know. We'll Luckily, I've always had work and I think working in sound and is very adaptable, you know. I could adapt what I do into many different things. And there's always going to be sound and there's always going to be camera when it comes to filming, be it, you know, a, a reality show or a big high-end film. There's always going to be those two people on set working. So I'm glad Absolutely. for that, but I don't know. <laughs> I always said that this was a job that I would always, uh, I would always, um, if it ever just stopped and it dried up, I'd always say, well, I made my money there. That was great. Down payment on a house. Life is good. That's right. And, and and think about think back about although in reality I'm probably never gonna leave it. <laughs> I'm <laughs> sure it'll it. come back just the fine and I'll be doing it for the rest of my life. Yeah. It's so I think once you got used to those hours and once you got used to that, that lifestyle, it's very hard to quit. And I, I think a lot of this lockdown as well is I think maybe for the first sort of month even you could say some people were kind of fine with it. Um, I, I've been busy, so I've been okay, but I, I, there's no way I could sit on a couch for three months. No. like and i just not like that i just would have to start i'd i don't know i'd start learning yeah, I, french or... I, don't, I don't know what i would do <laughs> like... in my like I, if i work nine to fives i don't know what i would do in my evenings actually i, I don't because you it, can't you know it's only a couple of hours you can't do much with it i could go to the gym and cook whatever but yeah it's not made for me and you know what like i see loads of people that come on a film set their first time and it's not for them you know it's just not and i don't think you should uh be afraid of that I think if it's not for you, it's not for you. If something's not right or something doesn't suit you, find what does. Um, Definitely. I mean, I think when I was well, at uni, there was one, I asked one of the guys, you know, why did you not go into it? You're good, you're, you can write good songs. Why did you not go into it? And he said, I don't want to work that hard. Yeah. He was very honest. He didn't want to work 15-hour days in, in, this, in a dark room. And, and, and you know, he, he wanted, I suppose, that nine-to-five teaching. And, and that's fine. There's nothing, yeah. absolutely nothing wrong with that. No. You know, and I, if anything, I appreciate it is honesty. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think it's, that's important too, I think, uh, especially in terms of if you're asking someone in an education capacity, like, you know, why? What's, you know, what's the deal? You know? Absolutely. It's no, it's, I've really appreciated his honesty. And it, I think it was a, it was a, 
And it also gave me a little bit of a, you know, like, I suppose the teaching side of it for me, I suppose, sort of goes onto my YouTube where, yes, you know, I do try to put um, videos out there. And it feels great when I got a comment two days back from this chap and he's like, you've absolutely saved me hours. I've been so frustrated. Like, I've not been able to get my system working and I just didn't know what to do. And thank you so much. And it's like, actually... You know, hey, I did that video for free, really. Okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, I want to get yeah, some yeah. ad. I want to get some ad rev, right? Yeah, but like, yeah, yeah. the message that that chap sent me, like, because we've all been there, man. Where we can't get our session running or something's going, and it's so frustrating, and it just kills the creativity. And that that message to me meant a lot, which makes me think that you know, that an element of teaching isn't necessarily. Um, out of my remit I probably could do some teaching if I wanted to no, and, I, and the other thing I think to remember is I, I don't know if our industry is that as unique in this way but um, there's probably more hobbyists than there are professionals right there's probably more people Definitely. making little films here and there than there, there are professionals doing it um, and so that fills in into that market De oh. no, definitely, oh, there's what always someone. Absolutely, there's always. And like, that's the other the, the other important thing that that guy did, and what you sh you know you do too, is that then is to reach out to people. If there's a YouTube channel, or if there's a composer you like, or something, just you know reach out and say, hey, thank you. You know that goes a long way, and it might be another contact. You never know, right? Uh, like, uh, yeah, you do additional music, or you do. Yeah, it's it's definitely. A, it's I mean, that's one thing as well, man. Like I spent, you know, I, I kind of do all these tracks, and then I sort of put out the. I do the, you know this album's out this Saturday, you know, and no one cares. Yeah, yeah. So they're like, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's, people are sick of, the, of that sort of stuff on the internet, you know. And I thought, well, actually, how, how much time have I actually spent, you know, going online, seeing a post like that, and then actually listening to it? And mm -hmm. I thought, yeah, I do do it, but I'm sort of not really practicing what I preach. It's like yeah, I'm, ex I'm expecting someone to kind of check out something. Obviously, Aurora's grown into a bit of a label now, and I've got Ike signed to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and which has been really cool as well. It's been a nightmare with the fight with the business side of it, but it's been yeah, yeah. it's been good. But it's like you know, I should start listening to people's stuff and sharing it out and posting it out. And, I, and yeah. I, I've started trying to do that every couple of and days. And send them I'd, a message and say, "Hey, well, great! Track. I like what you did." Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, and and um, and this has been great. This Aurora cast stuff's been wicked. You know, some of, some of the conversations I've been having with people has just been incredible, and it it grows you. Um, it grows your mind and it you, you, you get different um, you know sort of sections of other people's lives and you and the things they've been through and you, you you take a lot away from it so there's definitely this give and take to this um, I think if you're if you're going to basically be, be an arse you're not really going to get on in this industry are you no they don't last very long <laughs> they're in the door and out and the actually side, this is this is that goes that's one of the number one questions I get is like well how are the actors you know, and they go, especially when you're on a really big film. Now, let me tell you, when you have a $200 million film, the last thing you want is an ass being the lead actor, right? They don't last very long because you need them to be reliable, stable, you know, turning up on time. That's a lot of money invested in one person. So you have to present yourself as that. And I kind of, you know, I... I do the same as what I do. And, you know, like if you're going into London to meet a director, like present yourself well, you know, show them that even if they're not paying you, show them that you're actually worth a lot more, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Don't turn up in grubby shorts and a string vest sort of thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, like uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's still, a, it's still a business, right? So, yeah, there's not most. And again, that's like when I said earlier, like how sometimes it's harder to work on the smaller projects because 
the people that aren't pleasant to work with often fall down the ladder. Uh, and uh, then that if you're on a small project, that makes you know much harder to work with. You know. Well, yeah, they can kill a whole project, and I've seen it happen. They can literally destroy an entire project because I've seen it where people get like halfway through the production and say it's like a really low-budget, gross points, mm -hmm. profit share style uh, thing, and then suddenly they just demand money. Right. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to continue. And then it, the, the producers are there going, you've just, what do you mean? We can't pay you. This has been agreed, you know, um, and you, you, it, that, that one person ends up then the project's gone for everyone. Yes. Just because they were like that, but then that you see, and I've seen that happen. But then you go and look at their MDB, and they've done nothing since twenty sixteen or whatever. It's, it, yeah, you know, yeah. It's, it it affects you, man. Because it, and rightly, and it's, so it should do as well, you know. Because it's everyone's been working for next to nothing, really long hours, putting loads of passion into it, and then just because you, well, you just start they just start throwing their their weight around unnecessarily, yeah, yeah. you know. It's, and, it's, uh, it should be a collaborative process, and the smaller the budget, <laughs> the more collaborative it is. So on a really right. big film, I have absolutely. Uh, absolutely nothing to do with anything other than sound but if i'm on a tiny little project i might help the camera guy or i might help the lighting guy or i might you know be more involved with the story or you know the, well then you learn and the, i think that's important you know well then you but then you well then you, then you learn it's like it's, it's like um you know i've been talking one thing that's been great again is with this camera stuff is suddenly i'm starting to actually message filmmakers and say dude how would i go about doing this like i bought a couple of lights um just to try and get me a bit brighter yeah. Um, and uh, I, I got took some advice on that because I knew nothing about it and whatever else. And and um, you know, then this kind of like the, the the OBS I've been using for years, but talking about the difference between broadcast and film, and and it, it gives you a bit more of an appreciation and an understanding if you jump in and do those jobs. So I think by mm -hmm. you spending the time to like right, let's go and check in with the lighting guys. Yeah. It gives you an understanding of their job, and then they yes, and then suddenly everyone's got an appreciation for what each element of that and it's a great time to figure that out on a small project when you can do that sort of thing because when you're on something bigger you, you can't and i remember being on my first you know tv drama sets i was in awe i was like what's going on here what are all these people and what's all their jobs you know and all these things what are we learn, on? Yeah. learn these things There's sometimes i don't even give myself credit for knowing anymore but because they just become second nature but uh that's the best time to do it and you should remember that like when you start out in the career and you're on these little projects and stuff, you should remember. And I, I don't like it when people start being rude to people because they're not being professional. You know, it's like, no, we're all here to learn and we're all here to play around. And uh, if you want professional, then you can pay professional. It's uh, a fair point. If, if they're not doing that, then, they, you know, they get they get you for who you are. And, you know, stand up for yourself. You know, you, you're providing them a service. Yeah, and a lot yeah. of the time, a lot of the time as well, that service is is you know because even 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 a basic understanding, right, of a microphone, an XLR cable, phantom power for a condenser. This is a gain switch. You know, there's the EQ. You know that someone hasn't just done that in two seconds. Like I've been on a I've been, I've been on like a day course where they tried to it was for an events team and they tried to basically show people who'd never looked at a sound disc, never looked or considered a microphone at all. And they're trying to teach them how to essentially use a handheld, um, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, wireless mic, yeah, yeah. a lavalier, you know, and it's all going through transmitters and receivers. And I was kind of, and a really cheap, like Behringer desk, you know, like, um, and I was kind of like, yeah, okay. Like, boom, 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 because I've been doing it for God knows how long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But some people, man, they're like, you say what now? 48 volts and what, like, you know, and I, 
I think some people's kind of, um, I think we forget as well that actually, you know, that is a skill that you've not just gone and bought this gear, plugged it in and started talking into it. It's yeah. been years. Well, I of- always, yeah, I always, uh, I always explain to people that my, my job, apart from the, the physical aspect of booming, my job in the most part can be very straightforward very easy, especially when I'm just recording a corporate gig and I have nothing more than what I have now, a recorder and a microphone above an actor. Easiest gig in the world, but when something goes wrong, you have to know. And I've you know, I, uh, I've done lots of second unit work on, on these big films like Mission Impossible there where I might not do anything for a week, you know? Like there was a day on Mission Impossible where, on the second unit there where I did nothing for a whole week. And then just before we were about to go home, they said, oh, uh, we're bringing over uh, Alec Bolden and Tom Cruise. We're going to shoot them against the green screen. Um, we've just got him for, for five minutes and we've got to do this shot. <laughs> so it's like, I've just, like, I'm like sat there for a week, having been drinking loads of coffee and eating all the snacks going like, and then all of a sudden, you know, they get up oh. there and I go bang, 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 bang. And they go, okay guys, thanks for a great day. And I'm like, oh my word. And that made me realize that I'm paid for what I can do. I'm not paid for what I do. I'm paid for my ability. You know, and abs- what abs- I can provide. Absolutely, and you and then, and you hear as well. Like, there's another thing I keep hearing is like, um, you know, people who will charge like a ridiculous mu- amount of money, say, for like half an hour's work, and it's like, yeah, but that's twenty years or whatever. Yes, yeah, so got into learning that, and playing around be, and getting it to right be, to be able yeah. to do that in half an hour. Yeah. And people, yeah. people just don't see it. They, they they don't see it, and it's um. So I think that's really, I think that's really important. I mean, I really have got an appreciation for lighting teams. Because just me trying to light me in my room. Oh, yeah. I know. And it's a balance, right? Because you think you just throw a light in your face and then all of a sudden something else is wrong, right? Yeah, because it's shadows. It's really hard and, work. Yeah. And, 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 and I honestly I honestly thought, okay, I didn't think it was quite as simple as that. But I honestly thought I could get one of these box lights, fire it on me. No, no, no. Yeah. I'm firing it in the corner of the room and bouncing the light off the wall. Yeah. And it's, it's like painting with light. you know and it's an art and it's kind of and i think you can as well i think you can have like the most expensive can you could be in there with all your reds and 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 really expensive cameras but if the lighting's wrong screwed yeah you know and 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 i suppose from but i would say this and maybe and i am biased but i definitely do believe that you can get away with the odd dodgy shot yeah you You can especially especially in documentaries yeah you know the the sound the story lies in the sound and we know this because how many times, you know, have you, someone said, hey, watch my short film, you know, and the sound is awful and you mm-hmm. just want to switch off. Mm-hmm. But if you can hear it, it doesn't matter if the camel bubbles a bit, you know, it's like, okay, like the story's there. And uh, I think that's why, you know, it's actually like people, like other people at the film school that I studied with laughed at us in the sound department because we were out making money straight away. You know, it's like, you guys are working already. Um, because nobody wants to do sound for free. No. Really. Well, it's long, it's long once, work, mate. It's just like, yeah. I mean, that, the, the, the one shot I did 10 hours, as the longest I did as a, in a day on a, as a boom, you know, and uh, it was a great fun, but it didn't get released, but it no. was great fun, you know. Um, and I think you should do it. And I think it's a great time to, and I'm sure I've said this already, you know, like now, if I had a problem with my recorder, I would instantly look to see if I had phantom power, right? Yeah. Or I'm yeah. like, well, is this a phantom power? Like, oh, no, it's T-power. Okay, oh, let me see if I can deal with that. Um, whereas on a sh- short film when you're just starting out, you might not be so quick to discover that. Don't be afraid of that. Just, 
you know, get on with it and do sorry it. guys i need five minutes i'm going to figure it out and i'll get back to you you know absolutely things Don't go wrong about it. yeah things yep. go wrong and you, the worst thing is i'm sure there's people who've stood there for, for an hour knowing that they they've not recorded <laughs> yeah. oh totally yeah that's totally happened i've heard stories that all the time you're like, like why that like, is the worst <laughs> thing they're really that, they're really gonna hate you yeah, afterwards and, and yet the, that person's heart rate and how they feel and all the anxiety while they've stood there knowing. Uh, why? Why put yourself through? I'd rather just admit I'm an absolute idiot, sack me, than than like. Yeah. I'm just going to keep rolling for ten hours. <laughs> like, I, I tell you yeah. though, there has been times where I'm freaking out about like uh, like my uh, AC unit. That I keep pointing to that would be freaking the hell out of me, all the way through an interview when really. You play it back through, and and actually, I always found the best the best way for me to check anything was to play it back through my laptop speaker. And Absolutely. if it sounded great through my laptop speaker, I was happy. You're about a winner it. because I'm looking for absolute perfection, right? Uh, which not everyone is, and actually, you don't. You know, when you turn your headphones up so loud, you can hear absolutely everything. You know, then uh, play it through the laptop. It's fine. Or it's Apple Air- Apple AirPods as well. Great test. Apple yeah, AirPods are great. Yeah. Um, uh, well, AirPods even it doesn't have to be AirPods. Well, that's because um, also that's that's what people are listening to, right? They're correct, absolutely, and 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 I think and the iPhone. Yeah, you know, abs- if, yeah, if if you're not testing, that's uh, that's always been an important thing. If you're not testing it through the medium that it's going to go out over, you know, it's like it's like these short films, you know, grading their film and making it looking great for the one time it's going to be played on the big screen. No, you want it so that, you know, someone can watch it while sitting on the toilet on their iPhone. Because that's when people are realistically going to watch your film, you know? That's when you get uh, people's is, attention. It's a sad state of affairs, mate. It's, we've gone from people watching it on their toilet, but you are right, or on the train. I mean, especially for TV shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, on their iPad on a train. And I don't think know. we should be, we shouldn't be afraid of this. We should adapt to this. And the people that are going to survive and the, the people that are going to do well are the people that just accept it for what it is. And, and you know, it's been incredible during this COVID time to see how businesses just adapt like that. They're just on a dime. They're like, they just, some businesses have started up. Yeah, loads, loads of businesses have failed and it's been really sad to see. Definitely. But some businesses are brand new who've just, just arrived on the scene and it's incredible to see. I, I don't know if you found it in the UK. So many Companies have come out with masks that they've been making and they've readapted their plants to do these things. And seeing restaurants adapt to takeout, there's a nice restaurant near me here where they've adapted and they're like a pop-up grocery store and they yeah. sell really nice things. And I think that's great. Like Absolutely. you've got to adapt. And this is a great, COVID-19 has been a great reminder of that, um, that you know you have to adapt. Well, there's a, I mean, there's a there's a grocery store up up, up near my mum, you know, and, and well, I say a grocery store. There's a company that used to get up and go into London, pick up all the groceries, and deliver it to the restaurants. Yes. Well, now he started doing that for people. Smart. So, yeah. so you know, he still goes was going up and collecting his fruit and veg, you know, and then he's delivering it to people, you know, and yeah. he, he had a whole like COVID safe way of doing it. Yeah. And, or or um, there's a brewery I'm quite friendly with, Dorking Brewery. Yes. And, um, I remember and, seeing um, that, and they're delivering. Yeah, they started delivering, mate, because their business, no pub, no one's buying, you know. Um, yeah, the, the, um, the, the pub beer. Yeah. Someone being arrested outside your, your place. Yeah, I have actually, just so my AC wasn't uh, on full whack, I uh, I have the door open and I do live Sorry, let's give it a sec, in man. Toronto. No worries, <laughs> downtown Toronto, mate, it's fine. Um, um, but yeah, the brewery, you know, they adapted in terms of that now, and then apparently they're making the same sort of 
cash flow as they were when they were selling to the pubs. So wow. their, bus- their business, once we come, I mean, it's going to be, a, I think, around about July, well, I think late July the pubs will start opening. If they yeah. keep that home business, they've doubled their profit. Yeah, yeah. And that's great. You yeah. know, um, so I, I, I think it's definitely been, I, I panicked at first and I was like, I was, I, I, I've always got a few months fl- float in both yeah. personal and business. Um, and um, obviously now with me being a bit of label, it's like I have royalties I have to pay out and that's a responsibility. So I've always got that sitting there. Yeah. Um, I had to sell, I had like a, like a ML, like a, um, a native instrument kind of drum pad that I wasn't using. Yeah, yeah. I had to sell that. Yeah. But, you know, just to kind of get a bit more liquid. Um, yeah. So, gen- but generally, I haven't really been hit. But that's smart. I think it's, uh, you've got to, like I said before, the, the gear is here to make you money and help you do your job. And if it's sat there doing nothing, sell it. Yeah, you know? don't need it. Like, I'm, you know, I've toyed about selling this recorder because I haven't used it in a couple of years. But also, it's like, I don't know if, if I do go out and use it, then that opens up new opportunities. So, there's an element to it you know, where you've got to speculate to accumulate. But if it's not earning you money, get rid of it. And get rid of it when when you can get rid of it as soon as possible because, you know, that thing will be superseded down yeah, the line and it will lose its value and no one will be interested in it. Definitely. I mean, and that and, that, and you're right there because that was, that was like the, the third edition. And I yeah. sold it for 40 quid less than I bought it. I mean, it wasn't all my kits in good. I don't muck yeah, around yeah. with my gear. Yeah. You know, I look after it. Um, and that's the most saddest thing, man. You see someone sort of like chucking XLRs around and you're like, dude, like, come on, man. Like, you know, have a little bit of... Have a little bit of yeah, but see, that's because you that's because you work in a studio. You should see some of the places I'm dragging an XLR through. <laughs> yeah, know? it's, true, actually, yeah, it's yeah. horrible. Modern. Yeah, yeah, it's horrible. You know, it's they're, 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 they're there to work. You know, it's true. Yeah, it's just yeah. true. It's true. There's one guy, Davindo, is a lovely guy. He came, he came onto the podcast and uh, he does a lot of broadcast stuff. And he's yeah, got he ready, watched he's it. Got yeah, ready. Yeah. He watched it yeah. brilliant. Yeah. He was kind of saying, you know, just blow your Mac up. Just use it. Just it's there to be used and abused. Yeah, exactly. It? it is. It is. And uh, don't don't be very don't be too kind with the gear. It's there to make money, right? Exactly. Yeah. Just use it to the best of its ability. You know, Absolutely. Don't you know? Look after it. Keep it clean. Keep it well maintained. Make sure it's ready to go. But don't worry if it gets wear on it. You know, that's the idea. It's there to make you cash. It's there, there to be used and abused for your for, yeah for your business. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And there's yeah there's loads of. Uh, I mean, I think as well. You think you've got to, you've got to look at, you've got to look at kind of like I could have sold this mic years ago, um, but it's actually become my staple now. Um, yes. And, I, and, and I've still kept the boom pole because I don't know. I mean, I don't have any immediate plans to. Yeah, if you to jump and also you probably but... you're probably only going to make a couple of pints from Dorking Brewery if you sold it, right? Like you're not going to. It's not worth. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Sometimes that. it's worth keeping something around. Exactly that, but I found as well sometimes it's useful when it, like take. Um, they take Dorking Brew for instance or a local business let's say they needed an ad made and they wanted to do it cheap well by me having that pole I could go or I could you lend could go it, do just, it I could yeah. either go and do it or I could just lend it out and, you know I'd do take this gear and just at least don't just put some rubbish you know let's do it, let's do it at least semi properly you know yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. so that's why I kind of keep it you never know you never know when you're going to kind of use it and I suppose in some respects it's it's not a high end pole that NI thing was worth six seven hundred quid it was it, it you know it's an expensive bit of kit in yeah, some way yeah, so i think yeah. you've got to measure it out as well but definitely that whole um there's a chat that you might have come across on you i know you watch a lot of youtube um matt diavella right no 
Um, really cool guy, man. Check him out. He's, he's, he's gone massive and he talks a lot about minimalism and essentialism and put like minimalizing personal finances and whatever else and workouts and like life stuff. Um, and, um, his stuff looks great. Like he's a yeah. really good filmmaker as well. I think you'd, I think you'd like his stuff. And he was talking a lot about that, about essentialism and, and, um, and, uh, look, if you don't, if it's just clogging up your, you know, he's a minimalist, but his camera cupboard's ridiculous. The hard yeah, drives yeah. everywhere yeah, and whatever, yeah, because yeah. he needs it for his business. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's I think that's that balance. Like you keeping you keeping I would say that for you keeping a recorder, a boom, and a mic, that those are things you probably should have in your life forever. Yes, it's always going to be that because you never know. It's, it's your staple. What kind of yeah? What's going to happen? You know? Yeah. And, it's just, uh, yeah. I, I like I sold my radio mics when I left the UK uh, because I just knew that I didn't. They they weren't going to be transferred well over here because. The frequencies are different and things like that. So I got rid of them and I'm close to buying new ones, but then I won't buy them unless I'm going to make the return on them because I can rent them, I can borrow them, you know. Can, it's you all can... these things that make life, you know. I don't need I don't need something sat there depreciating in value, getting old. When it's well, not you're not going to use them. When I'm not making money. Absolutely. Yeah. What, what, if you were to get, if you were, if you were to get labs again, you know, if you're going to go down the radio the route, what, what would you looking for? What would you be looking for in terms of in terms of brand? Well, it's kind of actually, it's kind of things are being flipped on their head right now. Um, Electrosonics have been the big player for a while and still are, but we're slow, slowly um, getting better at digital radio mics. Uh, and apart from the fact that they just sound better, they also need less spectrum. To fit in so you can fit a lot more radio mics and with um with mobile phones taking up more of the uh the spectrum available you know with 5g and everything yeah the space that we can fit our radio mics into is becoming much more narrow so right now i'm actually better off holding off waiting for better digital radio mics to happen sound devices brought out a company in the uk called audio limited who made fantastically beautiful sounding radio mics and they pretty much you know, they, they brought out digital radio mics with hardly any delay. Wow. Uh, and uh, they sound great. They're a little bit bulky right now for some drama work. Uh, so I think if they get ahead of the game, I'll buy into them. But I'll, I'll have to wait and see. You know, it's it's a changing market. Um, that again, there's no point, you know, do your research. Yeah, you know? don't just go. That's one thing as well. Like I've got, I've got. A, I'm, I'm looking to buy a camcorder, man. Yeah, and it's going to be about a grand, you know. Um, and there's no way I'm, I'm not going to buy that this year, next year, or the year after. But what no. I do, what I'm doing is I'm researching it and I'm asking people. Look, I've, it's in my Amazon wish list. Yeah, I've no plans to buy it. I'm just researching yeah. it, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, but I didn't, I didn't consider that with uh, with radio mics in terms of frequencies. And I suppose that is a conversation if you are doing something digitally over the air, and then you have got everyone's iPhone and everyone's Apple Watch and God knows and, what and, else. And a, yeah, film set's a real... <laughs> a film set is, is RF nightmare because everyone's using something remotely. Everything's become remote. It's quite incredible now. The, the lights are remote. They run off batteries. They just really? can stick a battery light up in the ceiling and then they can control it off an iPad. You know, every, uh, the, the, the DITs are people that look after the cameras uh, in terms of the... Uh, image capturing they can control the camera remotely you know everyone's you know there's so many things flying around a film set everyone's got walkie talkies um you know we're sending off feeds everywhere with it so it's a bit of a mess 
for for RF. So, you know, anything you can do to help with that is uh, important. So, going digital could help us a lot. It's, and yeah. it sound better because we, uh, you know, we run uh, the radio mics run through a compander, which is basically like a com a compressor, right? And it just, you know, it's not perfect. Some sound better than others, but you know, if you don't have it balanced just right, you know, it's not so great. Digital, it's great. Yeah, it just gets rid gets rid of all that stuff. I suppose it is a things. I suppose are changing, and and I think I'm fine with digital. I still I'm not sure what I think about in terms of like automation. Um, and I, I, you know, like it's great that you can put these lights up and they're battery powered and someone can sit there with an iPad. I think all the time there's a human being sitting there with an iPad. I'm happy. Yeah. But it does worry me slightly. It's like, you know, are we going to have like an artificial boom arm that's just moving by some, you know, can the mixer just move a boom around? And it's like, I don't know how, how that sort of, um, personally, my personal opinion in these sorts of things is that you need a human being really to operate. Um, if you're a filmmaker and you're trying to tell a story, Yes. You know, like there's AI now that can compose music, yeah. but they but they can't. I don't think it they can can't quite get emotion. No, it it's it like, uh, it's, like it's like you know. it's like cameras having you know the camera the focus on a camera is getting better and better right all the time, but the focus puller can tell the story with the focus right like by changing the focus by you know a mere fraction of a second. You know how many times you know like like say I'm here and there's a door behind me. And someone knocks on the door. If the focus puller throws the focus to the door beforehand, you've already spoiled the story. Like you already know something's happening at the door. There's so exactly. much you can do with that. And I, I think you're right. Like there is always going to be an element. Human. It's like um, this idea of you know uh, actors, like digital actors acting in a post-COVID world. I I can't see how that's going to happen. And actually, I think there's an adverse effect when people when animations look too real, it almost gets too close where you don't like it. it. You don't understand it. And I think humans are always going to want other humans telling stories and how they uh, go about it. But 100%. That, that said, you, I think we, if we're going to be smart business people, then we need to think about what's ahead and what is going to happen. Say the boom operator is no more. Well, what's going to replace the boom operator? How do I get into that? You know, don't just oh, yeah. go, no, boom operator till I die. <laughs> And then all of a sudden the phone never rings again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I yeah. want to be whatever I, the I next, the, whatever the next thing is. Just you know, stay I, on it. I think you're right. I think, and I think there's a lot to be said about that. I think a lot of people can be kind of like um, rigid in their thought there, where you know. Yes. And, 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 I mean, we're all I, guilty of it. We're all guilty. I, of it. Absolutely. I mean, even the, the musicians I've worked with, they've always worked in the box, and they've never really plugged in a cab. They've all been modulation, and I'm like, buy a cab. Yeah. Like, what? Well, I don't want. And they're scared of it. It's like, well, why? Buy a cab. It's going to sound better. You'll get a different sound. It'll be a different experience for you. You know, and uh, and me now, I'm kind of sick of sitting at the computer. So I've started backtracking. I picked, I started playing guitar again after years of not replaying really yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and looking to buy synthesizers because, you know, I want to sit somewhere else away from all this stuff. And, and yeah. your brain re interacts differently. So I think, it, I think you're right. I think if you, if that is the case, if it comes on your radar that, old boom operators are going to go it's like well okay what's controlling the boom how can i learn that or how can yeah. i and in some ways you could you could say that it would make the production easier if you can control it and you wouldn't have that solo thing that happened to you 
you know. Yeah. But then you're still gonna are you still gonna need, you know, an actors, for instance, with this kind of like um you know, some of the some of the I think some of the best scenes that I've that I've I, I can't think of an example off the top of my head now, but where an actor's just kind of like um improv the line in a comedy or or they've just yeah, yeah. come out with something and everyone creases up. And that's real. You know, yeah. it wasn't scripted, it was it was taken you you lose all that with um yeah. with um or it'll just come out with some nonsense. You know well, yeah, what I mean? we, yeah, we try to uh, <laughs> we try to cover every actor on set now because so much happens all the time, right? You can't just let someone go unmiked, um, just in case. But yeah, you you need that human interaction. I think even if just the boom goes, someone still needs to be on the set running the floor for the sound department. Uh, exactly. I I don't you know nothing's ever gonna quite die there's you know there's people now there's there's a move towards exoskeletons for boom operators some people are against it i think it's a great idea it's nowhere near ready like you can probably use one now for the odd shot here and there out on the street or whatever but in a set you couldn't but it's gonna get better it's gonna get better so it's gonna keep pushing well it's never gonna stop is it and here's the problem and here's the problem is when they introduce the exoskeleton for the boom operator and the camera operator so he can hold the camera longer all of a sudden we're gonna start shooting for longer as technology progresses we push the boundaries just that little bit further away from where we're at you know it's yeah. just like we're always you know we're always going to want a bit more so you know yeah it's an ever-changing it's an ever-changing world yeah move forward so with it f- move forward with it it's all fun and games definitely yeah. I, I think it's it'll be interesting to see where we go and um i'm definitely still fascinated by film um and uh while I think I took a couple of years out and I got into producing again in terms of the band, I was in studios recording bands mm-hmm. and that sort of thing um, while doing more pitchy stuff. Um, it's been incredible really to get back doing a short on a small team. Um, yeah. You know, and uh, this one's been great as well in that, you know, it was the first, I, I kind of insisted that, that we had a sound mixer, like a, like a dub. Yeah. Um, because I just said, I'm not doing it. You know, I said, I've, yeah. you know, it's not my job and, and, um, and really, I actually don't think I'm I'm the best at it. On especially, I could do it on a film that's not mine that I haven't necessarily composed. But I think I wanted someone else to to mix my score in with the yes. dialogue. And Smart. I think it's yeah. important. Yeah, um, I'm yet to hear because you're well, cause, and, and you know what too is you're um you're 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 too close to the score. The score right. is your baby, right? That's right. And that's so right. you won't be willing to remove the score when the score needs to be removed. Because it's your baby and you want it in there all the time, but when it when it actually needs to be removed for the benefit of the film, you need someone there to make that decision. Absolutely, and it, if it, you can make that call yourself, then all the better, right? Like if you can do that yourself, then that's great. But I mean, I, I try to kind of be quiet naturally when I need to be quiet and whatever else. But yeah, there's definitely going to be times where I'm too loud and then the sound effects too loud, and then it's like someone needs to come in, I suppose, and be unprecious with that and say, look, this is what's best for the picture. And that's yeah. why I asked for this. Uh, that's why I requested the director get, because it was a conversation that where I would do it, and I just I, I said actually look, I'd rather not. Um, yes. And um, and like I say, I'm yet to hear it, so I'm, I'm a little bit nervous. Um, but, um, <laughs> but I'm not as well. I mean the the dialogue I got from the film um, was sounded fine. You know, it's a little bit needed a little bit of work here and there. Yeah. There was a couple of sort of action. You know, like sort of. Still I always there. find uh, I always find you need at least two watches. So at least takes you to the second watch of a film that you worked on to be able to watch it for a film rather than think about the work that you did in the definitely. project. Definitely, definitely. No, you know? definitely, definitely. And I mean, I've, I've got some feedback and they're, they're saying as well that the two actors in the film, you know, they, they both love the music and that meant a lot to me. Yeah. Um, because it, 
I think she especially loved what I did for her role, which means that I hopefully was in the same sphere of thinking as she was. And that, yes. that, that, that to me was, I went to bed feeling, feeling quite accomplished and, and quite happy that, 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 that was received in that way. Um, so, cause yeah, like I say, I definitely, I, I don't, I don't think I'd be one of those guys who's like, you know, well, I want my score. It's like the, the typical normalist lead guitarists, you know, they, they want their, they want their solo as loud as possible. And it's like, dude, yeah, like, so, someone, someone said to me actually, uh, recently, I loved it. They said, uh, only, only other guitarists enjoy guitar solos. And I was like, yeah, that kind of makes sense to me. I was thinking about <laughs> guitar solos that I really cared for and there isn't many of them out there. And uh, I always found myself actually with, with the analogy of being in a band is that I'm the bass player, right? And so I'm not the lead guitarist. The lead guitarist is the camera department or the actor or someone like that. I'm the bass player. I'm the sound guy in the back that we kind of get on and do our work without anyone else. Nobody really knows quite what we're doing. They don't quite understand it. We're just kind of sat in the back, maybe looking at the drummer, just kind of going along with it. And uh, I always thought it kind of made sense how I ended up. And when I interviewed for the film school, you know, the question was, you know, you're not going to be always that appreciated on set. You know, you're always going to be the bass player at the back. Uh, and I was happy with that. And I like it. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. You know? But, but, but it's, it's like I say, it's every person, you know, the person who sort of took the time to make someone a cup of tea. Yeah. You know, or, or you know, guys, if you thought about having a sandwich or whatever, that person, do you know what I mean? It's every, really every, I think you see those credits roll up and I get quite offended, even if it's a film that, that you know, I don't know anyone who's worked on it, say, or whatever. I yeah, always yeah. sit in a cinema and watch the credits come up. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah. And that's one thing I'd say, actually, me having a little bit of a pop at Netflix, which I probably shouldn't do, but I'm going to do it. Their new feature where where they kind of like the film finishes and then they're it trying to play it. to the next thing, yeah. No. Or they no, box no, no. it. Yeah, yeah because I, if I've watched it with a mate or someone, like normally I want to talk about it and the score's, yeah. rolling, the score's rolling up and then you've got everyone who worked on it and you're actually kind of like having a roundup of the film, you know, to the score and whatever else. And it's like, no, stop putting, stop trying to get me to, I yeah, understand I why they're doing I it. I don't mind it so much with episodic TV. I quite like you no. watch the intro for the one and you end up watching all 10 in a day and the credits roll at the end of the 10th one. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, yeah. It's annoying how they're trying to promote for a film. the next movie straight away when you just Definitely. watch the credits. And Definitely. I can never hit the right button to get the credits back. <laughs> It's, it's like just, it's getting me yeah, because yeah, there's only a moment to do it, and I never get it right. I'm like, oh, and then I sometimes if it's a show where people I know worked on, or I want to the best, you know, IMDb is great, but if you really want to know who people were on a film, look at the end of the film. So sometimes I've tried and I miss it. I can't get it right. You can't get it still, right. Oh, and it still you know tries to play another film. You know, that's know. right. That's right. Give, and it's, give me a break. Yeah. It is frustrating, mate, and it, it really is. And I, I do get, I get quite angry sometimes because sometimes, if you, especially if you've watched like quite an introspective story, like I watched Arrival a couple of days ago for the second yeah, time, good film. and yeah. um, a brilliant film, and and uh, uh, sonically amazing as yes. well. I, the, oh, I yeah. was like, wow, this sounds, this is incredible, and. Um, you know, I wanted to have a chat to my mate about it, <laughs> and it's yeah. like, hang about, you're trying to get me to watch, yeah. A, Big or whatever it was, I like, well, yeah, yeah. shut up, go away, you know. Um, yeah. And I was, I was interested because obviously, um, Johan Johansson, mm -hmm. who unfortunately uh, died um, a couple of years ago, as I'm sure you know. But the, you know, his his kind of solo cellist was has now stepped up and she scored Joker. Wow. Okay. 
So yeah, it's, that makes another, a lot it's, of sense a, to it's me. another kind of like I suppose she, you know, they're both Icelandic, they're both colleagues. Yeah. And then I suppose they, you know, she ended up playing on some of his films. I think she was on Sicario as well, and and, right. a, and a couple of other bits that he did. You know, and it, it was great to see her. I mean, I thought the score for Joker was amazing. I was really impressed yeah, with yeah, it. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, and I really like the film, but I've really, I especially appreciated the, the the score to some of those wackier scenes. You know, um, I think she did a great job. So it, I kind of connected those dots through watching the arrival um, credits because I'm yes. about that's the composer. Just yes. So it's great to track her career. Yeah. Um, and you know, and you know, like I was saying before about connections, right? Like it's all about connections, and you can kind of see someone's path by the connections they've made. And like you said, like there's many ways to get to where you want to be. And that's an incredible story that, you know, she didn't yeah. start off as a film composer. You know, she was working for a film composer. As a solo cellist. And not, and, yeah. 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 And, and, but then you can hear as well, you can hear obviously, I mean, Arrival was a very, again, sound design approach. Mm. But you could hear kind of like, um, you could hear those distorted cellos and electric, electric cellos especially. Um, you know, and then if you listen to the Joker, it is very cello based and it makes sense. It's kind of like you can, you can see how, you know, that could have literally been, she was on a scoring stage and imagine, I'd imagine they recorded that score well, in LA. Yeah. Stick, stick to what you know, right? Like, yeah, you know, yeah. And it did, it, it worked great. And, and, um, yeah, I was really impressed with it and it was really great to see, it was really great to see. So yeah, film credits are definitely a, I'll always sit and, you know, everyone else is getting up and rusted and I'm like, mm, I'm, I'm, I'm staying put, you know, I want to and see And look it. at their other work, right? Especially with a composer, look at the other work they've done and follow their, it's like with a, it's like with a, with an artist, right? With a painter, like look at their old work and see what, how they ended, like, you know, like Picasso, Picasso's most famous for those crazy pictures, but you can track his career to see how he got to there, right? And Absolutely. how he ended up at that as his final product. And I think you could probably do the same with any composer. Right. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Any, any composer, any sound, any any sound team. Yeah. I'm quite interested in 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 the back. You know who conducted it, and or, or which which studio did they use? And London seems to be prevalent in film music um, in terms of yeah. Ab Abbey Road's pretty big. I think Air's pretty and Air big. Air's yeah. Well, most most of the remote control stuff's definitely Air. And um, this and, and this is that's the the most interesting is it doesn't matter where the films made in the world, they quite often come to London to to do the score. Yeah, because I think not only would you have incredible, well, you have an English-speaking country with fantastic recording studios. I think the UK UK technicians are some of the best in the world, and UK musicians are some of the best in the world. Sight and reading London has a lot of them, so we're, they're ready we're, to go. Yeah, we're, we're, apparently we've got some of the best sight readers that like right. they can turn up and do it. Yeah, and obviously yeah. time's money as well, you know. Yeah. So if, if someone can yeah. sort of just especially with up, a full orchestra, yeah, yeah, absolutely, time's money. So that that's I've been in Abbey Road um, Studio One and Two, um, uh, just as like for like a tour, um, and uh, I've met some of the kind of mastering engineers that that that, that work there or have worked there. One chap I'm talking to, Barry Grint um, from uh, Alchemy Mastering, he's gonna. I'm looking to try and. I don't like I said where I don't want to do my mix. I don't I don't want to master my stuff anymore. So I'm right. starting to outsource it. I don't agree with it. I think it should be a it's a different art, and it's someone else should have their ears on it. Yes, everyone um, has a skill. That's right, and you can't. Yes, we can buy mastering plugins, and we can kind of get there. But you know, I want to press stuff to vinyl, and I need someone with the skills of uh, to understand those sonic right. ranges yeah, that yeah. this tour needs to. Need, so I, I appreciate I'll pay for it, and I'll get it done. And why not get it done by Barry Grint? How come you know someone who's well to do so you know like a you know knows what he's talking about yeah, um, yeah. uh i think los angeles like i say i've been in, in the barbara streisand um uh sony 
um, scoring stage, which was incredible to see that console, that Neve in there, you know, and you walk into the live room and you kind of like, there's so many videos I've watched of orchestras playing in that room and you can almost like sense their presence. It's like, yeah, maybe, yeah, I'm, maybe yeah. I'm romanticizing this too much, but um, that was cool. Um, so yeah, there's definitely some cool scoring stages, and it, but you look at it and it's it's kind of, I think it's definitely gear. Like I think that console in the Bible Streisand room is definitely, it, you can hear it. Um, on specific scores and I think that's the same I think air air is probably more about the space you know with the gallery and they have no hands so that I think they've got the space and obviously the obviously the consoles and the engineers are amazing but I think I think different studios are categorized by different things and I suppose maybe that's the same for sound stages yeah it's, sound stages though are kind of they they're not as good as they once were. The older ones are better, and okay. as you could imagine, the industry has gone crazy in the last say five years, uh, and they just can't they just can't build sound stages fast enough. So more often than not now, if I am filming in a studio, it's actually a converted studio from a factory of some description. It's not okay. purpose built sound stage. They try to do the best they can, but they're not perfect acoustically. You know. Sometimes and sometimes they literally are just an old factory, and we built a set in it. Right, you know? so, it's, so it's getting. But I suppose if they need that, because the ones I've been to were at but, Sony. Yeah, and they but technology is changing, right? Like technology is adapting, and you know, post sound can probably do more than they used to be able to do with uh, you know with bad acoustics or you know things like that. Like we can remove probably noise better than we ever could before, and we can get a better sounding mic closer to an actor better than we ever could before. So. You know, as as we say, as technology adapts, we move forward. You know, as and technology it, changes, everything moves forward. Absolutely. And, I mean, uh, we I think it. as well, everything changes. And I think that I think the big, I think the big thing was I remember years ago you were telling me, Mike, you've got to hear this Dolby Atmos sound. And yeah, I think we were. Yeah, when I, yeah, I went to see uh, Gravity. It, uh, that, and, it, and I can't remember. Now, I can't remember what, either. I couldn't make it, or there was some problem with the second ticket. We couldn't. I don't think I, I didn't. I couldn't go with you. Yeah, it was at the um, Dolby Theatre in London. That's right. Yeah, it was great. Um, but now, obviously, with 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 AMC buying up a lot of this, a lot of, well, they own Odeon now and, and and whatever else, and we're starting to see now in the Odeon Luxes in the UK that we've got Atmos built into the iSense screens. Yeah, and um, I've seen them being installed. And of course, I went. You know, they were doing all the sort of um, sine wave tests where they're blasting the room, checking for bleed and, and all yeah, that yeah. sort of stuff, and, and installing these great big speakers and all these subs in the ceiling, and then EQing and balancing the room, and just looking at the looking. I've seen the processes, um, you know, and and uh, I work. You know, I suppose I've worked with them really. Yeah. And uh, I saw Star Wars, the latest Star Wars, in there, and wow, I mean, it's immersive, right? It's incredible, mate. I mean, I was yeah. I, I was there with the family, and 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 we all we all kind of left there. Like I, I was just like that. Is, that is incredible. I mean, I'd seen the demos and the tests. I'd seen like the Dolby Idents and yeah, and um, there's a like there's like a like an animated character sort of conducting yeah, yeah, this yeah. stuff moving around you. But that was incredible, man. Like the light that you're vroom, through the seat, yeah, you know, and and the clarity of um, like the, I couldn't hear any distortion. Um, that you sometimes do get on those old JBL that they're loud, they can mm -hmm. deal with loud volume. But so occasionally, I'm like, I think when they're speaking, it sounds a bit distorted. Mm -hmm. Can hear any distortion, crystal clear. Everything was spaced. Of course, you got all the ways to space it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I sat there and thought, wow, Mike was, you know, this was like he was telling me about this in like 2015, 2016. Yeah, 2013, I think it was. I went. To Day, see, it was probably about 2014. Yeah, it was when Gravity when Gravity came out. 
and, yeah. and I bet that was incredible in it as well. Yeah, so oh, it, yeah. Ma- it, yeah. it, it makes me think, you know, that that I think is the um, and I've seen this as well. These these sort of like um, is it HDX or or something like that? Yeah, with yeah music. Yeah. Where you've got to wear headphones and it really sounds like it's you're listening almost with your brain rather than yeah. your ears. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm actually, it's completely unorthodox and kind of mental, you know. But hey, stereo sound at one point was unorthodox and mental. <laughs> I know. I was like, what's this? I two tracks? You crazy? <laughs> we're gonna so, we're gonna transmit it over the radio? Yeah, you crazy? yeah. What? Yeah. You know. So it's like I'm not. I'm not archaic in that sense, and it would be interesting to try and make a track, or even more interestingly, a score. Um, but then I feel like those two technologies are directly in com- in competing with each other because for the ADX stuff, you need the headphones, whereas Atmos is kind of free and easy in the room. Yeah. And I'm de- I'm definitely more sided with the headphones off, free and easy in the room. But it would be great to have some. I believe they've got. You might know probably know more than me, but I believe there's almost like a, a joystick remote control. That they use for Atmos mixing, right? No, I don't know much position. about it, but yeah, that makes sense. Um, and you would, you would, like I said before, like you do the mix to your outputs. So there's no point doing an Atmos mix for something that you're gonna put on YouTube, right? <laughs> no. And you would do an Atmos mix, and you do the HDX mix, the other thing you were talking about with the headphones. Like you mix for what the final product is gonna be. That's right. right. That's and absolutely. do more than one, you know, do more than one. So, so, so your film's gonna be on YouTube. Mix it for, you know, stereo. If you're gonna if you gonna show it in a cinema, then maybe pay someone to spend a day and make it five point one. You know, you, go from you know. that. Well, there, well, this this one's gonna ask you as well. Actually, Twickenham have got a a, a, a mixing a mixing. They they got a five point one facility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and um, when I was pricing one f- film that was supposed to kind of ha- be funded and well to do, I was gonna go to them for a five point yeah. one mix. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it was in Twickenham, and yeah. it was down the road from me, really. Um, yeah. I've been there actually. The film that I talked about earlier, Florence Foster Jenkins, we shot at Twickenham. Okay. Although there's only really one one stage there, and also all the sound post was done there. So I went back to you know see them do some of the post. Well, and I I kind of like the room because the room I saw online is like they're in a cinema. Yeah. Like the room. Well, that's again, like I say, like you, yeah. Any any real mix for a cinema should be done in a cinema type environment with the speakers around you because. How can you mix for a cinema on a small screen in your headphones, right? Same it's for the work. same for the for grading, right? You need to it needs to look right, you know. Well, gra- grading as well is a weird one because um, I've I kind of I remember starting again years ago, short film, and I started scoring it before it was graded. Yeah, they graded it, and my score didn't work. Right, um, because the the colors just didn't. Music's quite. I see music in quite like. In, I see music in colors sometimes. It's almost like palettes that fit certain textures fit with color. If that makes yeah. any sense, yeah, yeah. to maybe I'm just mad, and it just didn't. Well, I had to redo. Well, I didn't redo the whole score, but I took the. I took the the found. You know, I changed the uh, the the timbre of the fundamentals bit underneath it to fit yeah. that grade. So that's the whole thing as well. Is again, man. It's just so much. There's so many areas that each one just affects each other. Yeah, you can't hey, get look, away from uh, it. I gotta get off. I gotta go somewhere. No problem at all. So mate. I don't know if you're gonna put a few scissors in there because <laughs> we've been going for a while. If anyone makes it this far on the full cut, I'll buy you a pint. Okay, <laughs> okay, okay. No, gonna, uh, I'm gonna try. But it. I do. I, I do live in Canada though, so it might be hard for you to get it. But uh, <laughs> one uh, day, probably, mate. Prob- one day. Probably why I offered it. But uh, yeah, if anyone uh, gets to watch the whole thing, then and then I'm impressed. Uh, but I'm sure maybe you'll cut it up a bit. But uh, nice to talk to you. Mate, pleasure. Uh, thanks for having me on your uh, new podcast. And, Absolute pleasure. Uh, Thank you, mate. 
I'll send this little file off to you. <laughs> this little file, you'll be about to 10 gig. Yeah. <laughs> no, luckily, right, it's right. only two tracks, so it shouldn't be shouldn't be too bad. It'd be too bad. Yeah. Mate, it's an absolute honour. Please look after yourself. Yeah, same I'll, to you. I'll be, I'll be in touch yeah. soon, yeah? Yeah, and uh, if uh, I guess you'll put this up, and if I come across any questions, I'll uh, I'll try to answer them. Yeah, please. Go, yeah, guys, comment. Mike's there. Absolutely, it'll yeah. be on. It'll be yeah. a bit more di- bit more difficult for the um, for the audio version, but for the video version, without question. Yeah, yeah, great, cool. Thanks, Take care, Mike. man. Speak soon. See you later, dude. Bye. Bye, bye, bye. This show has been brought to you by Droplet. If you want to find the show notes for this episode or links to things referenced in the show. You can find them at droplet.fm slash auroracast9. You should also be able to see them in your podcast player. I've been Mike. You can find me on Twitter as at MWBellMusic. And we've been joined by Michael Lee Taylor. The best place to find him is on IMDb under the same name. Please do be aware that if you had any questions for Mike, he is open for questions over on the APL YouTube. So just search for Auroracast on YouTube and you will find the original podcast. If you want to support this podcast, as always, you can head over to Patreon at www.mwbellmusic. A lot of work goes into bringing these podcasts to you, and any contribution will be greatly appreciated. Thanks very much, guys, and we'll see you in the next episode. Shh. Drop it.